For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. We are live on a Monday edition of the Sports Bash, live inside the Ocean Casino Studios. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there? Well, we've got a lot to dive into, as always, on a Monday after the weekend is here. We could go in a variety of directions. Now, yesterday was an interesting day. Had the Phillies and Sixers on at the same time, followed by the Flyers in the afternoon yesterday. Over at Mike Gill Show on Twitter X, I asked, what game are you most interested today? I was very surprised. I was a very surprised. But the result of the poll, is it a microcosm of where we are right now in Philly sports? So where do you think the pollsters went? I asked, which game are you most interested in today? Sixers versus the Bucks. Big game. Sunday afternoon, ABC. Got Phillies spring training. Second game of the spring, which actually had a very interesting storyline in it that maybe only I found interesting, but I think uh, is definitely a topical conversation. And then you had the Flyers-Penguins yesterday, which was... uh just a hideous display of goaltending by did anybody else notice something about the Flyers goaltender that you rarely see I tweeted out about it yesterday did anybody else catch on to what I witnessed from the Flyers goalie other than the fact that he was horrible and um yeah was unplayable in that game and John Tortorella I, I, you could have put the Zamboni drive remember how sometimes when both goalies get hurt and they have to go to the guy who, like, is the Zamboni driver. Or maybe he's the guy that changes, like, the chip bags in the vending machine. Like, you could go to that guy yesterday, and he would have been better than Cal Peterson. It was, like, borderline uncomfortable to watch that guy play goalie at the NHL level. But did anybody else notice something about Cal Peterson that you rarely see? From a goaltender. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you follow me on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at Mike Gill Show, I did tweet about it, and I wonder if anybody caught on to it. So I asked yesterday, what do you, what game are you most interested in? Phillies? Early regular, uh, not even a regular season game. It is a it is game two of spring training. Sixers who are in the middle of a playoff kind of push right here against a good team in the Bucks. Doc Rivers was back. He got booed, as you would expect. And then the Flyers game yesterday. So which of those do you think was the runaway winner 
of what game people were most interested in yesterday. Do you have a guess? Based on the way you're verbalizing it, my guess would be the Phillies. So the Phillies had over 50% of the votes in terms of what game on Sunday afternoon our listeners or people who follow me on Twitter X were most interested in. I don't know that I was all that surprised by that. I think it was the results of the second and third place that I found more interesting. So you're saying that number two was the Flyers. It wasn't that number two was the Flyers. It was how close two and three really were. They were essentially tied. So are we at the point where the Flyers have now got more interest in them than the Sixers do? Is that where we are? I mean, as a sports fan, I was personally more interested in the Flyers game because I wanted to see how they would respond from Saturday's game in this game. if you had that guy playing goalie, the response didn't matter. They scored six goals yesterday and lost. (laughs) By the way, did did you pick up from Cal Peterson what I'm talking about? I did not. Wow. So you weren't watching all that closely? Or do you just have it on the background? I was listening on the radio. Oh, okay. So that's different. I was. If you weren't watching the game, you were listening on the radio, you may not have picked it up then. So Cal Peterson was uh, was awkward to watch yesterday. And it is a very, very rare situation with Cal Peterson. Not many NHL goalies are left-handed. He is a left-handed goaltender. Yes. So watching him is very odd. It's awkward to watch him. It is really odd to watch a lefty. Like, you don't even realize it. You are uncomfortable watching him. Well, it's like watching a guy who's left-handed play catcher. Like, you don't see left-handed catchers play pretty much at any level. Like, you might see a kid in Little League. Maybe he's playing at, like, the rec level. Would Cal Peterson been a better catcher than goaltender yesterday? Well, uh, he probably should find a different, um, you know, career. Uh, he, He did... He was a bit overmatched yesterday. It, it. It was, and it was uncomfortable to watch. It's so odd watching a left-hander play goaltender. Like, did anybody watch that game yesterday and was like, what is weird about this guy other than he sucks? <laughs> and did anybody say maybe one of the reasons why he stinks is he's left-handed? Like, it's just awkward to watch a guy. You don't even think about it. Because everybody's right-handed that plays that position, and it is like you see the glove hand and the stick. The glove hand's on the, you know, and it it was like the glove hand is, you know, it's on his left hand, and the stick is in the right hand. Well, yesterday, everything was backwards, and it was like every shot, like the one that got tipped, normally his glove hand would be right there, and you snatch that out of the, 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 you know, snatch out of the air. Well, his glove hand was on the opposite side, so he couldn't get... I mean, it was just really weird watching a lefty. That said, I thought it was a... The whole weekend was backwards for the Flyers. I think they probably should have tried to play him the other game against the Rangers and and um, Arison. Arison on yesterday against the Penguins. The Penguins are the team that is the lesser team. Arison could have used a little bit, maybe an extra day. I don't know. They lost both games, though, so it was a bad weekend for the Flyers. The Sixers, yesterday, they were never in that game. Like, not competitive, not in the game, rough to watch, just, I don't know. I, I, 
I'm finding it hard to watch the Sixers play without Joel Embiid. Like, I don't know what I'm getting from it. I don't know where it's taking me. All I know is, like, watching the pregame yesterday, Woj says, you know, yes, they anticipate that Joel Embiid will be back. All right, when? When am I getting this? And, and until then, this is what I'm getting, and it's not entertaining. And I don't have a lot of faith. I'm not liking what I see. Yesterday, funny, Yes, on Friday's show, talked about a lot of people were a little critical of Nick Nurse. And yesterday, Nurse, I saw more criticism of Nurse. You know, and I and I laugh because you know what I feel about the NBA coach, and people hate Doc Rivers. He yep. got booed out of the gym. So Milwaukee basically blows Philadelphia out on their home court. Is Doc Rivers a better coach than Nick Nurse? Of course not in most people's mind. Right. But it goes to show Doc Rivers, in your mind, might be the biggest boob there is. But if he has better players, it doesn't matter how good Nick Nurse was. Right. And it's to the point, though, where people are starting to be critical of Nick Nurse. And I'm like, it's not Nick Nurse's fault that he doesn't have Joel Embiid. Right? I mean, I don't know. Um, I did see a lot of people complaining about Nurse's rotations, guys that should have been playing more minutes. People are starting to get to the Tobias Harris thing. He's becoming the guy now that everybody wants to see off the floor. Let me give you, let me give you some insight here. No NBA coach, and listen, I'm not a Tobias Harris fan either. No NBA coach is sitting Tobias Harris. Okay, so let's not be critical of Nick Nurse because he's not sitting Tobias Harris. Doc Rivers didn't sit Tobias Harris. You say, all right, well, Doc Rivers sucks. Okay, now you got Nick Nurse. By the way, what do Nick Nurse and Doc Rivers have in common? They both won a championship? They have both won an NBA title. So at some time in their career, they were the top coach in the game. Neither one of them, right, in your mind right now, Doc Rivers is the worst, and Nick Nurse, I mean, I think you think is better than Doc Rivers. Neither one of them is doing what you want him to do, sitting Tobias Harris. No NBA coach, not Greg Popovich, not Eric Spolstra, and I don't even know who who is right now. I think most people think Eric Spolstra. Who are the top three to five NBA coaches right now? Off the top of my head, I would say Spolstra, Steve Kerr, um, uh, uh, Malone in Denver. Then probably that's where maybe like Nick Nurse probably falls into the conversation for a lot of people. And then the fifth guy. I think it's been on personal preference, but I mean, you can make an argument for Frank Vogel. You can make an argument for Joe Missoula in Boston. Jeez, you're giving me a bunch of names that I think people are just kind of like going, what? Are you kidding me? I'm not criticizing your list, but I think the point is there's really like NBA coaches are what they are. There's really no good answer. I think there's about one or two maybe that have more impact than the rest of the field. Right. And it's like a 90 versus 10% situation. So I think Spolster is one of these guys that maybe has, you know, I, I go about 90, 10. I'll go players, 90, coaching, 10. Right. Maybe Spolster, it's like 80, 20 when he's like rolling and they're in the playoffs and they're doing some different things because quite frankly, um, their team's not very good during the regular season. So does Spolster just suck as a coach during the regular season? He's only good during the playoffs. But 
So the Sixers yesterday, they're, they're just a mess right now. I, there's no other way to, to kind of put it is they don't know who's playing. This guy's in, that guy's in, that guy's out, he's out, he's playing, he's out. And until the Embiid thing gets settled, I don't know what to think of this team. But a lot of people complaining gave me a few laughs yesterday. I'm like, I'm watching the Sixers game and watching people on social media like, why isn't he playing this guy? He's playing that guy too much. How come he didn't go with that guy? What kind of offense are they running here? And I'm like... There is nothing that Nick Nurse could have done to win that game yesterday for the Sixers. They just are not a better team right now than the Bucks. Like, they're not. The Bucks are just better than the Sixers right now. With no Joel Embiid, the Bucks are a better team. So I don't know what to do with this team and this rest of this season until Joel gets back. I, I really don't. Like, I like to sit here and say I think they can kind of hang around. I don't. They won the game against Cleveland, my gosh, on Friday night, which I can't even believe, which has kept them in the five spot. They're one game behind the Knicks, and they're a half a game up on Indiana. They're a game and a half up on Miami and Orlando for the play-in spot. So they have Boston on Tuesday night, and then after that, the schedule does lighten up a little bit. If they could, That's a lot to ask. Boston's won eight in a row, nine out of ten. They're seven and a half games up on the two-seed. Can you sneak a game against Boston? And we had Devon Givens on last week from PHLY Sixers. And the whole thing of it was, can they go 2-2 two and two in this little four-game snap? I'm surprised they got one. They do have a shot to get two. It's a long shot, though. But they go one and three out of this stretch, and they're still in the playoffs and not the play-in. I think that's probably a win for them. But I just don't know what to expect. And I can't have – like, I guess you could say – if they could just kind of hang around, like be a 500 team until Embiid gets back, is that going to be good enough? Eh, I don't know, man. Especially because of who's around you. You know, you look at the other teams that are in the proximity to where they're standing. It's not like the Pacers are going to fall off anytime soon, right? So, you know, how how are you going to stay in that top six if the teams behind you are potentially going to win their games, and if you have struggled, like, let's be realistic, they won the Friday game because Donovan Mitchell didn't play, right? Like, them being well, their best player that, helps a lot. Yeah, well, Joel Embiid's not playing for the Sixers. Right, so it's almost like an even playing Yeah, so you point. can't make the excuse for one team and not the other. No, yeah, I'm they didn't have that, Donovan Mitchell, and you won a game where you didn't have Joel Embiid. Right, it was an even playing field. It was like, you don't have your best player, we don't have our best player. That's why they've a part of the reason why they were able to have a chance to win that game. Yesterday, you saw what happens when you're just outgunned and outmuscled, and they're going to be definitely outgunned and outmuscled against Boston. So, I mean, realistically, you know, if you are above five, if you can be around 500 from now until the end of March, I believe that's a gift. Yeah, but it's a gift. I think that's a best-case scenario, and I don't know where that puts you. If you're around 500 between now and the end, eh, I don't know what that does for you. I mean, Miami is coming. They've won three in a row, seven out of ten, all right? Orlando's won seven out of ten. So you got both those teams that are a game and a half behind you, and they're playing some of their best basketball right now while you're really struggling. You've got Indiana, who's now won three in a row. So it yep. seems like a fait accompli that they're going to go blowing past you. So you only have a half a game on Indiana and a game and a half on Miami and Orlando. I don't know how you hold those two teams off for the next month and a half without Joel Embiid. I think that's a lot to ask that those two 
um, those three teams that at least one of them doesn't outplay you by a game and a half. I mean, the only saving grace right now is that Miami has half their team suspended because that fight the other yeah. way. So, I mean, that's five games. You know, they're, that's at least a chunk of the schedule. You have to worry about them, you know, jumping too high up the standings. So, you know, can, can you stay ahead of the pace far enough so you don't get jumped by multiple teams and maybe only just the Pacers? Uh, Monday Marcus chimes in. What's up, Monday Marcus? Uh, he says Sixers point. I asked, did the Sixers not want to give up assets or did Toronto not want to trade with the Sixers based on Nurse being their former coach and what he got out of their group? Um, what do you mean for like Ananobi and or Pascal Siakam? Siakam? I don't know. I don't know that the Sixers even made any offers. We haven't heard any reporting that they made offers for either one of those players. So I know at least Siakam is a free agent. Is Ananobi also a free agent? Uh, let me double check that. So I know, I know Siakam, Siakam definitely, definitely is. They might not have wanted to, um, they must not have wanted to get into a situation where they had a, a player who's going to be, um, Looking for now, you could say Buddy Heels and expiring. I don't know that the Sixers think that he's going to be like a max type of player if he even want to comes back. So OG, he has a player option for next year that he can opt into or he'll be out. So different than Siakam, but still, there's a chance that he is a free agent after this year too. So Sixers yesterday, Sixers weekend, they do go one and one. So they did split those two. They got Boston tomorrow night, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. In the show, you'll hear what PJ Carlissimo thinks about what this Sixers team kind of is. I talked about the Flyers. They lost 7-6 yesterday. Cal Peterson was just dreadful in goal. He was also left-handed. <laughs> Which, I mean, who knew that being left-handed was just so odd in, in like, it just, what? Like, did anybody else, now Optic, that I'm saying I'm this. saying optically odd. Yeah, I mean, it just optically watching a guy play goaltender left-handed, you never see it. Like, right. I think they said it's like only the fourth or fifth Flyers goaltender ever who is left-handed. And even that I thought was like, man, I can't even remember a guy who was left-handed that played goaltender. Like, is there any other left-handed goaltender in the league? I, I you know what? And it's interesting. I've never even heard it brought up. Like, I've never heard like, hey, you never see a lefty play goaltender. I never even noticed it before. So it's either that little, amount of left-handers play goal because I never even thought about it because I'm watching the game yesterday and I'm like, this guy really looks awkward. And then they said, oh, he's like the fifth, I think he's the fifth left-handed goalie in Flyers history. But before they said it during the broadcast, I said, this guy really looks awkward. Like, it's just weird. What I don't, And I don't know what it is. Like, I couldn't put my finger on, what is up with this guy? Why does it look so weird? And then when they said it, I said, oh, man, you never even think of it. And then I thought about this, too. Maybe now I'm going down a weird rabbit hole. The fact that any of us are dominant-handed, isn't that odd in itself? Well, now you're going extra deep. That's what I said. That was a conversation. Like, I was telling my girlfriend last night. I was like, the Flyers goaltender last night, yesterday, or earlier today, said he was left-handed. It was really weird. And she said... Isn't the fact that any of us are dominant-handed odd in itself? Like, where did that come from? Like, that we can't be equally efficient with both hands. That one of our hands is more dominant than the other. Why would that be? I can answer that if you want me to answer it. The answer is because of the way our brains are set up. Because the way the brain is set up is we don't... 
we have a dominant side and less dominant side in the brain. And then that translates to how we function in our daily life is like, for example, you have people who are really good at numbers, people who are not really good at numbers, people who are, you know, they're dominant in one hand versus the other because how the brain synopsis fire. Because if you, if you used every 100% of your brain faculty, you would basically be a god. But the, the, there's parts of the brain that are actually either not fully capacity or dormant. Mm. Well, it's just an odd thing that uh, you have two hands and one's better than the other. By the way, would you like to know who the other Flyers goaltenders are who are lefties? I actually would because I want to see if I if you say it. And I'm like, now that you say that. Well, one of them you should remember, Steve Mason. Steve Mason was left-handed? Yep, according to NHL.com. Under I would five n- things you should know about the Flyers game today versus the Penguins. There's – I have – I, and I watched Steve Mason play a lot of games. It's not like he was some scrub journeyman. Right. He actually was like their starting goalie for a, a few years there. He was left-handed? Yes. Wow. I did not know that. The, another one is Mike McKenna. Don't recognize him. And another one is Stefan Beauregard. Nope. Don't know him either. So those, those are the guys aside from Peterson, according to NHL.com. So there's only three other ones? I thought they said there was four. Yeah. Maybe well, he was the fourth. He's, he is the fourth, according to this article. I'm looking at, uh, yeah, Mason does look left-handed. <laughs> wow, I did not know he was left-handed. But, now, does, but does that mean Hold that, on, no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, he catches right, which means he's left-handed. Because if you catch right-handed, your dominant hand is your left. Left. Yeah. That is weird. So does that mean that Steve Mason was not as awkward? Obviously as not. Peterson like, I'm is. not even, like, you're saying this. And I'm not computing that he was a left-handed goaltender. It's wild. That is Brodes. Our old buddy Hunter Brody. I mean, is it that odd in the hockey world for a left-handed goaltender? Well, I liked how you described it. Has have seen a catcher who would be left-handed. Yeah, which you do not see in baseball at the professional level. I can't even remember the last time a lefty. Like, it's weird enough to see it at the, like, youth level. I think I've seen like every once in a while, like at like Little League or something. That's what I'm saying. At the youth level, Josh, the youth level. I'm just thinking of like the Little League World Series. I know I've seen it before. Yeah, like they barely make left-handed catcher's mitts. Like it's hard. You don't just walk into Dick's and buy a left-handed catcher's mitt. Yeah, it's got to be a special order. Yeah, like you've got to basically special order the catcher's mitt. But I'm wondering in the hockey world, if you're someone that plays hockey, is it odd for – like, I'm watching the game. Like, is it because Peterson was so bad that it looked awkward? I think but now you're saying Steve in. Mason is lefty, and that's not – like, I don't remember Steve Mason being left-handed at all. Like, <laughs> who's uh, – who's um, well, somebody asked about is Carter Hart done with the Flyers. I don't envision ever seeing him play for the Flyers again. Yeah, I'm going to assume. I mean, I'm going to have Durso on my show tonight, and I'll, you know, but he has said before that, you know, basically don't expect Carter Hart to be back anytime this year. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely think this year he's definitively done. I'm not sure you'll ever see him play. I don't know about any of those five guys whether they'll ever play in the league again. What happened to Sandstrom? He's in the minor leagues. He's at. Uh, and- you're telling me he's not better than Cal Peterson? So the reason why they put him down there, because I, I know Durso has written about this, is that the idea is they want to get him more reps. Yeah, so guess he's not what? Just sitting behind. You could get some reps yesterday. 
There were plenty to get. <laughs> By the way, some left-handed, according to um, this article I'm reading, some famous left-handed goaltenders all time include Thomas Barrasso. I Grant, remember him. Grant Fuhrer. Definitively remember him. And he Tony, was one of the greatest of all time. And Tony Esposito. Very good. There's three right Grant there. Grant Fuhrer, the greatest of all time, was left-handed? Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah, they they catch with their right glove, so that means they're left-handed. Yes, yeah, just like a left-handed first baseman, he yeah. catches the ball right-handed. He throws. Now, with when his you left. say left-handed first baseman, what's the first name you think of? Millions of them. Every first baseman. That's about the only position that the lefty has on lockdown. <laughs> like, yes, they're a right-handed first baseman, right? But if you're a lefty, you have a way big advantage at first base over, like, Reese Hoskins. A lefty first baseman, Travis Lee, was, like, one of the great defensive players. Not that he's a big name. John Olerud. Lefty. But left-handers have, like, four positions on the five with pitcher. Right. But they can pitch. They can play first base or all out three outfield positions. And... That's it. You can't play in the middle infield. They don't play That's third it. base, and they don't catch. And unless your name is Grant Fury, you can't play hockey either. Cal Peterson. Steve Mason. <laughs> uh, yesterday, the Phillies did something yesterday. Are they trolling us, or is there something to take away from this? I'll ask Mike McGarry coming up next on the Sports Bash. Live, 97.3 ESPN. The Sports for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 231 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. By the way, Whit Merrifield with a dong today for the Phils. Didn't lead off. Not a lot of regulars in the lineup today. So not much to take from that. However, yesterday... There were a lot of regulars, not a lot. There were four regulars, two in particular, that I found interesting. Did Mike McGarry also find it interesting? Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City joins me right now on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. So yesterday you had a game with the Phillies or their spring training game. Mike, is it just a spring training game? Am I reading too much into this? Or Trey Turner hitting leadoff and Kyle Schwarber Hitting fourth. Do you read anything into that? Or come on, Mike Gill, it's a spring training game. Into it. I'm not sure that Bryce Harper was in the lineup yesterday. So I. Uh, we got a bad connection with Mike there. We'll uh, pop him back on here. So for those of you who saw the game yesterday, the Phillies rolled out a lineup and essentially. They had four players, four regulars at the top of the lineup. It was Turner, Stott, Castellanos, Schwarber. So I said I found it interesting, to which, you know, people on social media uh, are saying, relax, you're reading too much into this. It's a, um, it is a uh, spring training game, I said. 
all right, if it's a spring training game, why not just hit Schwarber leadoff and Turner where he normally hits? So we'll bring Mike back in. I think we got him on a little bit better connection now, Mike. Yeah, we, we, you were kind of busted up there a little bit. So reading too much into this or, or, or what do you make of that? Yeah, I don't make much of it just because Bryce Harper didn't play yesterday. So if Bryce Harper plays, he's going to bat third and you're not going to hit Kyle Schwab or at least Rob Thompson isn't going to stack lefties in the order like that. So I wouldn't read too much. And I think if Harper's third, he's going to have a right hander behind him at fourth. And then, you know, where are you going to put Schwab or probably first turn or second? Harper third, and, and probably JT Realmuto fourth. Now, I, I can understand, like, say, I read too much into it, but you got JT Realmuto. If he's your lead, I mean, excuse me, if Kyle Schwarber's your leadoff guy and Trey Turner is where he is, it's a spring training game. Why do I, why would I flip him? Why would I move him? Why not just hit him where they're normally going to hit? What's the difference? Yeah, maybe they're trying to give, you know, uh, you know, give Trey Turner an opportunity at the top of the order. Maybe they're trying to see what, you know, see how it kind of looks, see how it kind of unfolds. But I think, you know, um, you know, try to get guys at the top of the order. Maybe they want Turner to get more at bats. You know, who knows? I, but I think a lot of stuff, um, you know, the key to the lineup is, is where Harper hits and, and who hits behind Harper. And Rob Thompson likes to go righty lefty, righty lefty, and he's not going to stack lefties. And uh, Harper's going to hit third, so that means you know you're not going to hit Schwaber fourth. Uh, all right, so obviously um, that's it. Like I-, I definitely could see. I just wonder if um, Rob Thompson a- is like trolling. Is he like we know that this is going to have people taking a look at why? <laughs> and I'm not sure that anybody actually asked him after the game, or am I the only psychotic person in game two of the Grapefruit League that was like, huh, why would you do such a thing? No, I think people noticed, you know, Schwarber hitting fourth. It is a hot-button topic, as, as, you know, we've talked about in the past, as was much debated last season. But I just think it's a factor of, Harper not in there. Now, if Harper's in the lineup, I think once he making his spring debut, I think tomorrow or Wednesday, if he's in there and then you see Schwaber hitting down in the order, then I would read a little bit and turn him in the leadoff spot. Then I would read a little bit more into it. But without Harper in there, I'm not going to read too much into it at this point. Yeah, so uh, Harper hasn't played. Bohm hasn't played. Ramuto hasn't played. A lot of the regulars kind of like uh, easing their way into spring training. Whit Merrifield, by the way, homer today. He played in the game a couple days ago. Rojas, he back at second the other day, had a triple, uh, two hits in the game. He's in the lineup again today. He seems to be the one guy that everybody, Mike, is kind of keeping an eye on at spring training. They want to kind of see, like, can he handle this position? And, I, you know, we're all kind of assuming, like, now with the Marsh thing that he, do you envision him basically playing center field every day? Yeah, I see him being that starting center fielder, especially, you know, they bring Merrifield in. So he can, you know, uh, spot start in left field or uh, center field or be in the infield or fill in if a guy gets hurt or not. But I think by not going for a big-name free agent, i.e. Uh, I. a Cody uh, Bellinger type, I think you're handing that job to Rojas. So I agree with you. I saw him hit the triple, and I guess it was Saturday's game. I think it might have been wind-aided a little bit as a lot of uh, – you know, hits are in spring training this time of year. And again, Rojas is kind of in a no-win position, right? We all want to see him hit, and I think he has to hit this spring training. At the same time, we don't want to get carried away 
with him having a good spring training. We've seen Mickey Moniak have a good spring training and kind of struggle, although he broke his hand that year. We've seen a couple of years ago, Mikel Franco look like, you know, Mike Schmidt in spring training. I think he hit eight or nine home runs, and then he kind of fell apart in the regular season. So, obviously, we want to see Rojas hit rather than not hit in spring training. I think he's the one... Phillies regular that I think needs to perform this spring training, but at the same time, and maybe it's not fair to him, we don't want to get carried away with any uh, you know, uh, grapefruit success that he has this March. Yeah, and you mentioned Cody Bellinger. He signed this weekend to go back to the Cubs, and uh, you know, it adds to that Cubs team that was really nipping on your heels last year at the uh, wild card. We'll see there, but uh, Jason Stark said over the weekend that the Phillies still had some interest in Jordan Montgomery, but that he wants to be paid in the range of Aaron Nola. I would imagine, Mike, the Phillies aren't willing to get to that spot, but should they be? You know, I'm not going to pay Jordan Montgomery that amount of money. I think what the Phillies did was relatively smart. I like their five starters. I mean, you hear so much about Christopher Sanchez, and if you look at the numbers over, you know, August, September of last year, Christopher Sanchez, once he developed that changeup, he was one of the best starters in all of baseball. So I think he deserves a chance to be in that rotation. Obviously, you're paying Taiwan Walker a $72 million contract. You're not going to turn your back on him. And then they brought in a lot of guys that have kind of had success at times in the major leagues to kind of give them some triple-A depth, and maybe they can promote one of those guys if they have an injury. So, you know, I think Jordan Montgomery would be a plus. I definitely listen to Jordan Montgomery. But if Jordan Montgomery wants Aaron Nola money, you know, I'd stay with what the Phillies have. You wonder what these guys who aren't signed, uh, Jordan Montgomery, Snell, like how are they going to handle this as this gets a little closer? Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy, right? I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago with uh, Harper and, and Machado signing in, in March. I mean, baseball is just kind of crazy the way it, it was the original offseason, the hot stove league, right? Baseball had the original offseason. Now baseball's offseason, like many things baseball seems to do, kind of work against it. You know, you have the NBA free agency. You have that NFL free agency coming up in a couple of weeks where everybody signs within two or three days, and then you can kind of digest it and, and see what your team is. Baseball just seems to, you know, make every wrong move sometimes when it comes to promoting itself. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is with us here. Mike, you've covered a ton of different sports over the years, but what is your thoughts on this story about the court storming and what happened to the Duke game the other day? Yeah, you know, uh, I guess I feel strongly both ways, right? And I've been at some court storming events and stuff like that, and it can get a little scary, and it's such a, I think, a college tradition, right? Uh um, you know, uh, and, and it's almost like the purity of college sports, if there is such a thing anymore. The students celebrating with their classmates who are playing out there and, and, and having an opportunity. I, I just think, you know, if you can figure out a way to sort of preserve the court storming and protect the visiting team that has lost. I think I watched when Connecticut, uh, when Creighton, I think, stormed the court against Connecticut. They had a rope up and, and they kind of, uh, you know, got the Connecticut players to safety and, and out of the way. And they kind of stopped the students or the storm from coming across the rope. And it just seemed like absolute mayhem at Wake Forest. So obviously your number one you know, priority has to be the health of the players. You have the kid from Duke getting hurt. You had Caitlin Clark having that incident where, you know, they banged into her while they're storming the court. 
So if, we, if there's a way you can preserve the storming of the court and that fun scene, which is unique to college basketball, yet protect the visiting team at the same time, I think it can go on. If you can't do that, then it has to stop. The number one priority has to be the safety of the players, uh, you know, the visiting team and coaches and athletes, basically. Yeah, all right. Uh, a busy sports weekend, Mike. You had uh, yesterday with the Phils and the Sixers at the same time, followed by the Flyers. Uh, as we get rolling into the spring season here, we got a ton getting into. You mentioned NFL free agency. That starts March 11th is the legal tampering aspect of it. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of local stuff. What are you covering? Who's still alive? What's going on in the basketball? Yeah, head spinning others. Uh, the high school state basketball tournament uh, really picks up this week. We've got second round games. I'm about to jump in my car, head down to Middle Township for a boy girl double hitter down there. Yeah, Middle Township boys and girls still involved. Mainland boys and girls still involved. Ocean City boys still involved. Um, you know, St. Augustine boys still involved. And then I just got off the phone with Stockton men's coach. Scott Bittner, they lost in the NJEC final to the College of New Jersey on Saturday. You know, they were kind of down after the game. They thought their season might be done. But lo and behold, they got an at-large bid to the men's uh, Division Three NCAA tournament. So they'll have wow. at least one more game to play this weekend. So a lot of good local stuff uh, going on. All right. Yeah, I did not know that. I called that game on Saturday. Right, the Cal, right, right. The, uh, the NJAC finals. And, yeah, I thought it was kind of a fait accompli that the loser season was done. But, obviously, they impressed enough to get an at-large bid. So, congratulations uh, to Stockton and Coach Bittner. Though that was a uh, great atmosphere, man. They had a packed well, – what does that place hold? I think it holds like about 2,000, I would think. When And you're right. It was a great atmosphere. The kind of bleachers – behind the stand, behind the benches, and on the opposite side were filled, and it even kind of spilled over to that second level on the opposite side up where you were kind of calling the game there. And, and that place was rocking, and, uh, you know, a lot of enthusiasm, and it gets loud, and it's just a great atmosphere. And, you know, good for Stockton. gives the guy, D.J. Campbell, out of Vineland, Stockton's career scoring leader with 2,170 career points. will have at least one more game to kind of add to that total and, uh, you know, kind of add to his legacy. So congratulations to the Ospreys, who have been to the uh, Division Three Sweet 16 in the past two seasons. So we'll see if they can go on another run here. Very cool. Uh, we'll keep our eye on that. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. I know you got uh, high school hoops and everything else. It's a busy week here around the local scene, and we'll have them back on Wednesday as uh, the Sixers will be uh, playing the Celtics on Tuesday. I'm sure we'll have plenty to dive into that. By the way, uh, have you ever noticed, I noticed yesterday the kid playing goal for the Flyers was left-handed. Like, what an oddity. I have never seen a left-handed ice hockey goalie. And, uh, you know, my son, my oldest son is a lefty, and I always tell him no matter what lefties do, it always looks odd. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. sure, you know, it just looks crazy when they do it. My son's a, my oldest son is a lefty, and, uh, yeah, uh, unless they're pitching, that looks normal. But everything else yes. looks a little like uh, causes you to take a step I, backwards and say, am I seeing what I think here? Exactly. I said, this looks so odd. And, and like, right. apparently he's, like, only the fourth goalie in Flyers history to left-handed. But as my producer Josh told me Grant Fuhr was left-handed. And I was like, well, that guy was a legit player, and I would not have noticed that he was a lefty. But uh, another oddity that happened this weekend. All right, Mike, we'll talk to you Wednesday, man. All right, we'll see you down the road. Thank you. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, everybody. We'll take a look back, uh, or look back at the weekend here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Hey, don't forget, coming up in about 11 minutes from now, 
We're giving away a trip to see the Phillies and Orioles at Camden Yards in Baltimore, one of the great ballparks, thanks to Philly Sports Trips. And we're having a Phillies watch party on opening day to give it away. When you hear that first opportunity is coming up in 10 minutes now for you to enter, we will enter one lucky listener per hour here on the Sports Bash and on game night to enter to win that trip. And everybody out there is invited to the watch party. But you gotta enter to win the trip. We'll get you more details coming up in 10 minutes on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 251, some text messages I want to get to. Glenn in Northfield. What's up, Glenn? Says, I'm tired of hearing about Rojas has to hit. He did hit. During the season last year, he actually did. He hit 302. His on base percentage was like 340, which is really good. Then during, uh, Glenn goes on to say, then during playoffs, a tough time for sure. But as the coaches said, he's not there to hit. We need his glove. He will be more consistent this season and more confidence in him instead of having these very vocal question marks. Like, I like Rojas, Glenn, and I agree with you. They don't need him to hit 302 with a 340 on base percentage. The problem last year became he came up in big spots in the playoffs and they did need him to hit, not because they're expecting him to hit, but because no one else was hitting. And at that point, it was like you're putting all this pressure on this kid who's hitting number nine and he's really on the in the lineup because of his defense and his speed. And then he comes up with the bases loaded in the fourth inning and you're like, eh, what do I do here? I agree with you. Like, I was pretty... Uh, insistent in that moment last year in the playoffs. I would not have hit for Rojas there, not in the fourth inning, for two reasons. One, I didn't have anybody else. Now, if you told me I had Whit Merrifield on my bench and he could have came up in that spot to hit, all right, then maybe I have to consider hitting Whit Merrifield in that spot because I know he can play the outfield. But I'm not hitting Jake Cave or Christian Pache there. Because I know the result's going to be exactly the same. And I'd rather have Johan Rojas playing center field. So I get everybody, like, yes, as a baseball mind, you should be thinking, this guy's struggling, we got to do something. But as a baseball mind, you should have also, it's like the whole thing. I want the coach fired. Well, who do you want to hire? Well, I don't know. Like, we always want the guy fired, but then we don't have the replacement. We want Rojas replaced last year, but we didn't have anybody to hit for him. Remember that. When you're the guy that says they got to hit for Rojas, don't give me Cave and Pache as the replacements because you know that you're going to be complaining that Cave and Pache can't hit either. So it wasn't 
the problem that they made the wrong decision. Rob Thompson thought about the decision. He's not an idiot. He knew he had a guy who was struggling. The problem was he also knew his other options were just as bad, if not worse, because they would have depleted him defensively in center field. Now, Pache's a pretty good defensive player, and so is Cave, but they're not Rojas. The reason Rojas is out there is because he's better than those guys. But now you have Merrifield. In the same moment next year or this year, you should have a better option on the bench. And that's something the Phillies needed to look at was improving their bench. And I'm not sure they went far enough to do it. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm Mike Gill. And coming up next hour, we're going to talk some more fills with Bob Wankel. We'll get his thoughts on did the Phillies troll us over the weekend? Did the Phillies put a lineup together to make me ask Bob Wankel these questions? That's coming up in six minutes from now on the Sports Bash. But right now, I need caller number seven at 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller seven, you are our first entry for our Phillies watch party at Maynard's and Margate. And that means you have a shot to win a trip to go see the Phillies play in Baltimore against the Orioles at Camden Yards. It's all thanks to Phillies sports trips and Maynard's and Margate. We're going to be there live on opening day. The Phillies and Braves, Thursday, March 28th, 3 o'clock, first pitch. Everybody is invited to watch the game. But caller 7, you have a chance to win a trip to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips and Maynard's in Margate. We can't wait to be back at Maynard's. We can't wait for opening day. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after three, a Laurie in Manahawkin is our first qualifier. She now has a chance to go see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards in Baltimore. Our Phillies watch party is opening day against the Braves, the 3 o'clock game. So if you're not doing anything, come on over to Maynard's, hang out, watch the game, and you can win a trip to go see the Phillies play the Orioles in Baltimore. It's not a bad gig. Couple brews, couple, uh, you know, good times. Maybe even Bob Wankel from uh, Crossing Broad, RedOctoberPhilly.com. As he joins us right now on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Bob Wankel, what's up, buddy? What's up, Mike? How are you? Just watching those red hot Phillies down there in Clearwater right now. Is there a place <laughs> you're watching? They're at today, actually. Is there a Jet Blue? That I know. My friends yeah. are at the game. Okay. Beautiful Very day nice. in uh, Fort Myers. Is it on TV? It's not on TV, right? It's uh, Fort Myers. Yeah, they are in Fort Myers today. Is it, uh, was it on MLB TV or? I'll just follow along. I have a little game cast up oh, in the okay. corner. I was going to so, say, you know, I keep seeing all the crazy. tweets of like, you're going to have to take my word for it, you know, because I guess there's no video evidence of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the first thing I want to get from you. All right. So I found it interesting, the lineup yesterday. Am I making too much of that? Is it a discussion? Are they trolling us? Like, do you think Rob Thompson's getting a good laugh? Like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'll hit Turner leadoff and Schwarber fourth and watch people go into a tizzy. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't read too much on it uh, or into it on, on February 25th, no less. But I do think uh, in a spring training here where there aren't a ton of storylines, I think one of the things that they need to do is figure out what their optimal lineup is going to be. And, you know, maybe spring training games don't necessarily give you all of the data that you need, but I think you try some things out and you get a feel. You know, I I think Rob is smart enough to take a look at all of his options. You know, just because he did something the past two seasons, just because it's worked to some degree previously, doesn't mean that he's just going to blindly run into that same solution again here this season. So, I, I don't think that there's too much to look into it, but I think he'll tinker with some of his options and, and see where he ends up on, on, you know, March 28th. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like, okay, if you know in your mind, Schwarber's going to hit lead off and Turner's going to hit somewhere else and those two are in your lineup, wouldn't you want them to hit where you envision them hitting? Like if Bob Wankel's writing out a lineup <laughs> and your three hole hitter is available for that day and your five hole hitter is available that day, are you going to hit them? one and four or are you going to keep them at three and five no i think generally speaking you want to slot those guys into where you think they're going to be so maybe you can read into it to to some degree but i think that if you see a similar lineup unfold after let's say march 10th and going towards st patrick's day then i think you can really look at it and say all right obviously this means something i just know enough to know that right now it, it's tough to really look into it to to too much, uh, you know, with too much certainty. Yeah, and obviously, look, it's spring training. We know it's not a lot, a big deal here. But, you know, the whole Schwarber hitting somewhere else and he hits in the four hole, it's almost like they're like, ha-ha, now we're going to make you real. Because Stott hit in the number two <laughs> hole yesterday. And I thought that was also interesting. It's like, oh, Turner, Stott, that's a nice little thought at the top. Here's the problem with the Schwarber in the four hole is when he really put Harper third with a left-handed bat fourth, and that's why it's like, I don't know what to make into that. I mean, I don't think there's any scenario where they're going to hit Stott, Harper, Schwarber consecutively. Uh, You're going to need to break that up. You can't run those three left-handed hitters uh, with one another and create that pocket in the lineup. That would be a nightmare in the latter innings of games especially. Right, and and, uh, I can't imagine – I don't know. Do you think Rob Thompson would move, would, would bat, I should say, Schwarber in the five hole? I don't think that they want to move him that far down. I mean, you're talking about a guy that walked over 120 times last year. Like, they do value his on-base skills. And so when you start to, to move a guy down that far, I think that you diminish some of the, the value of what he does really well. So... You know, I think that there's a, a, a potential opportunity where they, they try to slot him into the lineup at points, and maybe it's not a consistent everyday thing. Maybe there is a little bit of a game-by-game feel on it, but there could be a world where they want to try to get him in position to hit with runners in scoring position on a more frequent basis with better hitters in front of him. My guess is that he's still going to press up towards the top of the lineup, though. I would think so. That's the thing. If he's not hitting leadoff, the only other spot that seems to make sense is five because of the left-handedness. Unless yeah, well, you were he's willing, unlikely to hit two. He's unlikely to hit two. He's, he's unless you were willing to hit, to hit Harper two. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is though with Bryce Harper is that he wants to hit third. Like he wants to hit third, fourth. Like he's a middle of the order guy. He's a comfort guy. Like he will he will give an opinion about that. So like. I thought last year there were times where Bryce Harper was probably would have been their their best leadoff option, but like it's just not going to happen. Right. He's not going to do it. Right, because um, you, you can go yeah. with Turner, Harper, Bohm, Schwarber. 
Like, you could do that, but Harper's probably not going to agree to hit second. So that almost means Schwarber, his only options are one, two, or five. Five, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one and five are probably the two most likely options in play. I just know where Rob went last year. You know, there was, like, this flirtation of getting away from Kyle in the leadoff spot, and then he – he, you know, reverted back to it and it's worked for them and they've had success and they scored more than five runs per game from July 1st on last year. They went from the 20th best baseball through or 20th best offense in baseball <laughs> through the end of June to a top 10 offense. They finished eighth in runs per game when it was all said and done. Like, I think that he knows it works and I think he's comfortable with it. And that's why I'd be surprised if he ultimately opts against it. I agree as well. It just, I found interesting. Like on a day you could have been like, all right, Schwarber leads off. We'll hit Turner two. We'll hit Stock three like what's the big difference yeah. Stott hit three yeah. on a spring training game Castellanos hits fourth or he make Castellanos hit third and stop fourth and he says nah you know what I'm gonna have Turner hit lead off and hit Schwarber fourth and screw all you guys out there go talk about it all day <laughs> I like the dog chasing his tail while there's another game going on by the way yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. So uh, the, we learned a little bit this weekend, you know, but there has to, there, you have to make a lot of assumptions and you kind of have to stretch a little bit. You have to project a little bit. You do. Yeah. Like, oh, you know. listen. So you say we learned a little bit this week. Give me a takeaway or two that you got from uh, the two games. And then, of course, you got a little bit going on right now. You got Whit Merrifield, by the way, going yard. <laughs> He's been batting leadoff. Uh, you got Johan Rojas tripling the other day. Yeah, I mean, so I've, I've learned a couple things. I think Whit Merrifield's gotten off to a nice start here these first few days, and he's shown what he's capable of, and I think that you feel good about that as a Phillies fan. You say, oh, wow, look, he's running around, he's swinging the bat a little bit, few hits, he goes deep. Good, great. That's what we thought we were getting, and, and so you feel good about that. Um, where I look, though, there are a couple things with this roster that are a little bit uncertain, and I guess the two big takeaways that I've had just in the first few days here – you know, you look at Weston Wilson and, you know, he had a couple cups of coffee with them last year, a couple games where he contributed. I don't think that he has any opportunity to really make the opening day roster, but he is on the 40 man. And I do think that he's a guy that he was very productive in the minor leagues last year. If he has a good spring here. He could play himself into a situation where someone gets hurt and he's maybe the first guy up. Like, I think that a lot of it right now is about how do you build your depth? And I, I think that you feel good about what you've seen from him so far. I think that's a guy that's worth circling and looking at on a more close basis as the month of March rolls forward. So that's one thing. I know that everyone's excited about Scott Kingery. I think people are surprised that he's around. Scott Kingery has absolutely no opportunity to make the opening day roster, but can he make himself a valuable enough player that if you got into a situation where you had to tap into some depth or maybe make a trade uh, at some point this summer, could he be a guy that has some value somewhere? So that's what you're looking for out of him and his opportunities when he plays. I thought maybe one of the biggest things yesterday was that Mick Abel threw a nice inning. He was ahead of hitters. He looked like he located really well, which was not always the case a year ago. It's one inning, spring training, February 25th. But, again, it was a positive step forward no, for him. Yes, and he might, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about him down the line, but since you brought him up, I mean, I was wondering, you got five starters. If somebody got hurt, let's say two guys, where is he in the organizational depth chart to where they would say, somebody's hurt, you're the guy that's – like, last year, Yo, uh, Rojas got called up out of nowhere. Nobody anticipated him. So is Abel legitimately on speed dial if somebody got hurt? 
I guess I'd be a little bit surprised early in the season. Um, I do think, like, if you said, where is he at on the depth chart? And you said all things are equal. Like, if you asked me that question on uh, June 15th or July 1st and he's throwing the ball pretty well, I'd say he might be the next guy up right now the way it stands. In in April, though, if they had an injury, my guess is that they would go to one of these more veteran depth guys to try to, you know, get through a couple starts if that's the situation. But I think what Nick Abel needs to do here is sort of establish himself look good, consistently locate, maybe not even be so married to the results. Like, I don't know that it's about ERA and the final stat line with him, but it's just like, can you show that you you have the ability to consistently locate? Because I think that that's really the big question with him right now. And so if he can do that this spring and carry that over into the minor league, minor league season, I think that there is a world where maybe he he would start a game for this team if they needed it at some point. All right. Uh, I got a couple things. You, you know, you talk about the depth. I I think we 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 focus so much on this off season of they didn't do anything they didn't do anything and when we say they didn't do anything we kept looking at well they're going to get a top end pitcher maybe a closer uh, is it going to be Cody Bellinger but they didn't improve the, now they got Whit Merrifield so I guess you can throw this answer in there but because somebody texted this in earlier like hey you can't expect Rojas to hit he's not here to hit like they don't need him to hit he's here for defense but like. You come up in the same situation again last year. Like, they didn't hit for Rojas because they didn't really have an option. There was nobody to hit. You could hit Cave or Pache. You're almost going down the same road. Like, did they do enough, like, thinking about the depth of this team to where that situation comes up, that they have a legitimate guy they can say, Rojas, the fourth inning, bases are loaded, we need somebody, we're going to go to this guy. Yeah, uh, I think on some nights they will. I mean, I think Whit Merrifield probably profiles as that guy. Uh, but when he's starting two to three games a week, the option isn't quite there, you know. So if you have a, a Rojas and Merrifield in the lineup together, if that's the way that it plays out, then no, there's not really a, a great a go-to. I mean, you figure with four bench spots, Garrett Stubbs is one of them. Merrifield right now is the other. Uh, and Nuno Sosa is probably going to make this team. And then that really leaves the one spot. And we talked a little bit about Weston Wilson. If he went crazy, could he find his way on the opening day roster? Maybe. I doubt it. So that leaves basically Christian Pache and Jake Cave. And what do you need? What do you value if you're the Phillies? Do you need the right-handed hitter? Do you need the left-handed hitter? Are you prioritizing defense? Do you want more of an insurance policy for Johan Rojas? That would be Christian Pache. Like, these options, though, aren't terribly exciting. I suspect if I had to handicap things right now that Pache is going to be the guy. I still think that there's a, enough of a pedigree and an upside there, and you factor in his defense. It's tough to part ways with him. But Pache and Cave, they're both out of options. So they don't make this roster out of the spring training. They're probably not going to be here. Yeah. I, so it's it's really interesting. Yeah, it is. I, you know, I, I was thinking about this over the weekend, and I'm thinking because somebody t- – and I said, you know what? The same situation comes up. You're almost in the same boat where you got Cave and Pache mm-hmm. as your two options again. Now, the Merrifield thing, you're right. If Like if he's not starting the game and he's on the bench, sure, you can hit Merrifield in that spot. And then I guess, you know, the other say, thing would be if Merrifield is playing and Rojas is in center and Marsh doesn't start, yeah. there's not a left-handed pitcher. But you're still in a very similar situation where your bench, Merrifield gives you a lot more options, but it's still a short bench. It's not a great bench. And, I mean, that's, like, that's the one thing. You, you just kind of wish there was a – you know, maybe Christian Pache evolves into this, and maybe he does kind of fit into this this category, but I just wish there was a younger player that had 
true upside, true ceiling. I mentioned this when we talked maybe last week or, or two weeks ago. There's just not like there's not a guy on the bench that, you know, he comes into the game and you say, ooh, you know, like I feel excited about this at bat that's about to unfold. And also, by the way, this there's upside where he may grow and, and eventually become an everyday player. They are missing that right yeah. now. Um yesterday during the game um, Rob Thompson talked about the, the bullpen situation and he was pretty like open and said, I like everybody. We got a bunch of guys down there. So is that what we're anticipating? Just a mix and match of everybody and whoever's available in the ninth inning that day, you're the guy. Like, do we have to get out of the mindset of this guy's your closer? Yeah, I, I set a line here at uh, players or relievers uh, to, to record a save in the month of April for the Phillies at three and a half. And <laughs> if, if I had a if I had to bet that line, I'd probably take the over. I mean, I think that there's a world where Hoffman, Strom, Alvarado, Dominguez, Soto, like uh, Kirkering, like all of these guys could potentially record a save in the month of April. Like I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that there is a little bit of that idea in play. Let's see how the lineups unfold late in the game. How do we kind of utilize and maximize our matchups? They like a lot of their arms. And, like, that's one thing I will say. We all look at this like there's no bona fide slam dunk closer sitting in that bullpen. And that's fair to say. But I think that they have so many intriguing arms. And I think that Rob truly likes so many of these arms that he is comfortable utilizing any, you know, handful of them on any given night or any given day. So, I mean, even look at the game yesterday. Nola got off to a good start. Strom, Hoffman, Alvarado, Dominguez, and Soto all threw clean innings yesterday. I think Soto issued a walk. Everybody else was, I think, entirely clean. Um, you know, I mean, I think that they really like what they have there. And yeah. I'll tell you one guy that they, they probably aren't loving, though, uh, after after kind of checking in on today's game. Connor Brogdon, obviously, really fell out of favor in the last year, uh, really struggled at times. <clears throat> he walked three guys in two-thirds of an inning today. All three walks came on four pitches. Uh, so he was completely unable to locate. And it's one of the more bizarre stories that's unfolded with this team over the last few seasons. I mean, there was a time where you looked at Connor Brogdon's upside and you thought that maybe he'd be closing games, uh, that he was going to be that like Ryan Matson type guy for you. And that has not materialized whatsoever. No, it has not. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you just mentioned uh, the over-under three and a half. You could make a strong argument that at the end of the month of April, that Alvarado, Soto, Strom, Hoffman, Kirkering, Dominguez could all have a save. They just have to play better than they have the past few Aprils. They actually have to have some leads to protect. That's all. That's right. But uh, those six guys there, and I might even be overlooking a guy that just I'm just doing off the top of my head, but those six guys there, you could all say could close a game out at any point. Yeah. Yep. I really think that they expect more out of Soto this year. If you just blindly look at the ERA, you really feel like he underachieved last season. You go deeper into his numbers. The velocity was still there. His uh, hits per nine decreased. His strikeouts per nine increased. His walks were down. Like All of the underlying numbers suggest that Soto was actually better last year than he was in 2022 when he was an all-star with Detroit. I really think that he's going to be better for them this year. Uh, all right. So, Phil's today, they're down at JetBlue Ballpark against the uh, Red Sox. And we'll keep you uh, kind of up to date. It was Merrifield who had the home run uh, for the Phil's there. They're losing uh, – they're winning 6-3, excuse me. Um, and, yeah, you mentioned uh, Brogdon, not great. 
Uh, I don't think any other potential guy, maybe Marte would be somebody that you might, Ortiz pitched a little bit last year, yeah. uh, but not a lot of regulars at Jet Blue today. And uh, the Phil's winning 6-3. They're in the eighth inning. We'll uh, update you there. Bob Wankel, Crossing Broad, RedOctoberPhilly.com. And uh, Phil's back today, baby. I love it. Good to see you. Well, t- talk soon, Mike. All right, Bob Wankel, always good on the fills. Good conversation is always here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. By the way, Jason Stark was on MLB Network Radio over the weekend. He said the Phillies have interest in Jordan Montgomery. They've had a long-standing interest in him. He said, quote, at this point, what I'm hearing, Jordan Montgomery wants more money and either the same number of years or more years than Aaron Nola. I cannot see the Phillies doing that when they're also trying to do an extension with Zach Wheeler. If I were, if it were a shorter deal, he says, I think they would be extremely interested. I do think that Dave Dombrowski is monitoring this and in touch with Scott Boris on this, but I just can't see how it ever gets down into their range where they're comfortable doing it, even though they still, what I'm hearing, have money left to spend but they might just spend it in July. That was Jason Stark on MLB Network Radio. So Jordan Montgomery is a guy, like, if they signed him, he would slide probably into the number three spot of their rotation, and then Christopher Sanchez moves to the bullpen, and you've got a situation where you've got a very deep rotation of five guys and a very, very deep bullpen with another lefty, that would be four lefties in your bullpen with Alvarado, Soto, Strom, Sanchez, Hoffman, Kirkering, Dominguez. That would be seven and then probably a long man somewhere in there like a Britton Covey. Not Britton Covey. What the heck is the guy for the Phillies name? His name's Covey, isn't it? Dylan Covey. Dylan Covey. I don't think they're related, though. <laughs> No. Uh, well, Dylan Covey is like 6'5". Britton Covey is about 5'6". Right. <laughs> bit of a, bit of a height. Bit of a switch over there. But that would be interesting. If they got Montgomery. All right. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Hey, listen. 35 minutes. Another chance for you to enter to win a trip to see the Phillies and Orioles at Camden Yards. We're going to rock this trip, baby. You know Why? Because we're going to start off with a watch party for Philly's opening day. Philly's opening day, Maynard's at Margate, and a winner to go see the Phillies and Orioles at Camden Yards. By the way, Orioles might be the best team in the American League, if not all of baseball. So, and it's going to be a big Phillies crowd. Right down 95, great Baltimore, awesome place to watch a game. Coming up next, what does Nick Nurse have to say about Tobias Harris's recent play as they continue to try to figure themselves out. You'll hear what Nick Nurse said coming up next. It's the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 
lot of guards and we got a big man shortage kind of with Joel gone and Paul in foul trouble and we're trying to figure out all kinds of things like we put Batum at the five first time we've done that we eventually went to Mo for a little bit but again it's got to be we got to do a little bit better job of like I think we can space we got more shooting and, and we've got to do a little better job of driving kick style basketball with this group of guys and we just again it's like we need to get these guys a little more organized on the offensive end all right that was Nick Nurse Something interesting he said there about how many guards they have. No Joel, very guard-oriented team. They play small a lot. So are they changing the way they play because Joel's not there? Are they trying to do a lot of the things they did with Joel and it's just not working? Here's what P.J. Carlissimo, who called the game yesterday nationally for ESPN Radio, thinks about the Sixers' struggle without Joel Embiid. No one can afford to lose their best player. But when your best player is also one of the best players in the entire league, it's a problem. He's the current MVP. He impacts everything, Joel Embiid, for the Philadelphia 76ers. This team right now is really going to have their hands full, staying in the mix for one of the top seeds. I mean, you know, they want to be at least sixth or better. They don't want to get caught in a playing situation. Yeah. The, the one thing he talked about is, like, how they're going to have their hands full. And that that comment sticks out to me is – Coupled with what Nurse said, he said, look, we got a lot of guards, not a lot of bigs. Think about their roster right now. There's no Joel. So what's left over? Paul Reed. Mo Bamba is essentially unplayable. He stinks. All right. So they don't want to play Bamba because he's essentially a stiff. You got Paul Reed, who can't stay on the floor most of the time because he's constantly out of control fouling. I mean, yesterday he was a minus 20 in the game. He had five fouls, and they just can't keep him on the floor. And they don't want to go to Mo Bamba. I mean, think about it. Joel Embiid's out, and Bamba can't get 15 minutes in a game. The next biggest guy they got is Batum. So this is a really small team that it's tough to win like that. You're playing every night really small. And what PJ says, coupled with what Nurse says, it really stands out that they need more from this guy and they're not getting it. Here's Nick Nurse on Tobias Harris and his recent struggles. Yeah, and I think he had a really good game last game, right? A really, really, really good active game and all that kind of stuff. They did a good, give them credit. I mean, they're pretty long, and they did a good job on him, obviously. Tonight, I think, again, we just got to make sure we get the package mixed up a little bit for him because he can do a variety of things. You don't have Joel. You got a 6'9 guy, and he can't help you out. He's the like one of the few bigs you got right now. I say big with air quotes. I mean, literally, he's the tallest guy they have without Joel and Paul Reed. I mean, Paul Reed is 6'10". Tobias is 6'9". He is giving them nothing. 31 minutes, 8 points, minus 14, 3 of 11 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3. I know Harris is what he is. I don't need to go back down the road if he can't dribble, he can't finish. But when Joel Embiid's out, he has to be the other guy. He can't throw 8 points up. I mean, you're in a game yesterday against the Bucs, and yes, you're, you're, you're talent deficient here. But you're never in the game because Harris is never in the game. And I keep seeing the people like, we're getting to the point where you might have to limit his minutes and take him out. 
The problem is, as I said at the beginning of the show, no NBA coach is sitting Tobias Harris. It's just not happening. So we can't keep going down the road of you got to sit him, you got to sit him. I'm not going to be that guy. I mean, in reality, if life were fair, Harris has to sit. He can't play 31 minutes. He's got to play less with what he's giving you. And I know that's not realistic. So what is realistic is Harris needs to be more involved. He needs to play better. Because it can't be Maxi all by himself. What did Nick Batum say? He can't score freaking 50 every night. And Nick Batum is right. He can't score freaking 50 every night. Yesterday he scores 24. 8 of 19. He's the only guy really showing any aggression. And healed. He's coming back to reality. You've got Kelly Oubre really starting to struggle and show his warts. Kelly Oubre, what did Paul Hudrick tell us a couple weeks ago? Out of control, wild card. I thought Melton played a good game yesterday. So the Sixers definitely need Harris to be that second guy right now because Heald and the Oubre's of the world, I thought Lowry was lousy yesterday. I mean, the other day he looked really good, and yesterday you were like, uh, are you sure we need this guy on the team? So the inconsistencies of those guys is obvious. So the one guy that you can't have inconsistencies from is Tobias Harris. And I think that bite there from Nick Nurse, you know, oh, the other night he played well, and then last night we got a minute. No, Tobias Harris has to be a guy that you can count on. And I'm not saying to score 30, but come on, man. He's got to be in that 15, 19, 20 range, and he's got to be competitive. He didn't compete yesterday. In 31 minutes, you got 31 non-competitive minutes from him. And that's unacceptable. Look, I don't mind asking you to go beat the Milwaukee Bucks without Joel Embiid, but you're at home, and this team at home has been meh. They are 18 and 13 at home. You have no home court feel in that place anymore. And I don't know how they're going to get to the end of the season without Joel getting home court games in, in, in the playoffs. And guess what? Watching what I'm watching here and watching the way this thing is going, it might not matter. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I want to ask you this question, Mike. You know, I feel like over the course of my time with you, you have been very consistent in saying that, you know, it's a player's league. So is it fair to say that the Sixers struggles right now, the players got to put up or shut up? Because did they not build this roster with this depth for a reason? Well, listen, I, this they don't have Joel Embiid. That, that's the one. You're talking about a player's league. You don't have Joel Embiid. You're up the creek without the paddle right now. Sure. Here's the problem, though. It's not like, you know, here's a, they're not better than Milwaukee. They might not be better than Milwaukee with Embiid. Now, Milwaukee's not the same Bucks team that we thought they would be, but keep in mind, they're 37 and 21 and we think they're struggling a little bit. You would think it would take about halfway. How long did it take the LeBron Heat teams to kind of get their legs under them when they first got together? It took about half the year. Yeah. And then they said, well, they were a 500 team almost the first half of the year. This team we're talking about struggling 37 and 21. I mean, they're 18 games, uh, 16 games over 500. And we're like, eh, they're kind of struggling. Is it that they've been winning games ugly while they're trying to learn and figure each other out? They didn't even have Chris Middleton yesterday. Sure, but I get back to, you know, Nick Nurse mentioned this after the Knicks loss on Thursday, and I felt it a little bit watching the game yesterday, which was 
it felt like there are times this team is just not getting started. And the other team comes in and you they use the boxing term, gives them a nice right hook to the face and they stagger to the ropes and they're like, Oh man, we're in a fight, you know. Well, I mean, realistically, if Tobias Harris is what he was yesterday, you struggle to score if Maxie doesn't score. Buddy heals a guy that he's very streaky. He was not streaky on yesterday, he was streaky off. off. Same with uh you know, Kelly Oubre. He is streaky, and he was streaky off yesterday. So you need some microcosm of consistency, and you're like asking Tobias Harris, do you be consistent? I know that sounds bizarre because one thing we know about Tobias Harris is the inconsistencies. He's just not there for you. And this goes back to the contract. You talk about this team. Look, this team was put together. What did Miss Sinelli say last week on the show? He said, look, you got a bunch of guys who are on these one-year deals. It's similar to what Pat Beverly said. He said the players want to win, but he's not so sure about the front office like right now. He's like, they put this team together with a bunch of guys on one-year contracts. Like, what do they have? What kind of skin in the game do they have? They're not going to be here next year. They know that this team was put together and said, look, take a run at it, and then you're all gone. But to be devil's advocate, shouldn't these guys be playing for the next contract? Shouldn't they be going out and saying, hey, I'm playing for my next payday? Yeah, that sounds great, and it's very fan-speak. These guys know they're getting contracts. Well, they I mean, is any they, of these guys that are on the Sixers right now thinking, ooh, I might not get signed next year? Well, I mean, I didn't get signed, but the idea of, you know, sometimes guys can play them down a grade when it comes to the pay scale. Sure, absolutely. Like Kelly Oubre is signed for the veterans minimum. He's a guy I think he thought he should have got more. He ended up coming here for the veterans minimum, which for him I think is like $4 million. Yeah, and the way you he's know, playing right now, he's never going to get more than $4 million. Nick Batoon's a guy kind of at the end of the line. Sure. Um, I, I mean, don't know like, what Heald is in his like future. Is he a guy that teams in free agency are going to throw money at? But guys is he going like to be the Heald, guy that's on the veteran min, min, uh, minimum? Kyle Lowry's another one that I think he's kind of getting to the end of the road. We have a lot of guys Kyle, on this team that yeah. I don't know are out there to try to get some big money contract. But isn't a guy like Heald and Harris or guys who are young enough, they got one more contract coming to them, that they should be going out there and say, I'm going to go earn that contract? Sure. I mean, but they're not. Um, no, they're not. And that's the problem. I, I mean, Harris is what he is. I think he got his big contract. And he's content. And I don't want to say he's content. He is what he is. He's a good player. Like, somebody asked me the other day, and I responded to him on Twitter or whatever it's called. <laughs> Just say social media. On X. Why couldn't he call it something better than X? All I think of is DMX. There's just so many better things you could have come up with. You're calling it X. It just sounds ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous. (laughs) The the crux of it is this, okay? Tobias Harris is paid to be a superstar. That's what his paycheck is. And he's not a superstar. Fine. Okay. Here's the problem. He's not great at anything. Right. Okay, for the money he got paid, maybe he's a great shooter. He's a good shooter. He's not a great shooter. Okay? Then you get to, if you're not a great shooter and you got that contract, he's never turned himself into a great shooter. Okay, you got that contract, be great at something. So he can't dribble. He can't finish. All that stuff. And that's the problem. So Justin tweeted at me. He says, am I the only one that likes Harris? Surprise disdain for him is so unanimous. Disappears at time, not worth the contract. I get it. 
Elton's fault on that one, still an effective player. To which I said, he's a fine NBA player. Tobias Harris is a fine NBA player. But he can't put the ball on the floor. He can't finish around the rim. And he's a good, not great shooter. His salary has limited their ability to add what they really need. Things that he doesn't bring. And yes, it's not his fault that he got that contract. But at that price, work on the things that you are limited at. If you are a good shooter, become a great shooter. If you are a guy that can't dribble or finish around the rim, you're average at that. Become good at that. He has not improved his game in those aspects for that price. And that is one of the issues I have with Harris is, okay, I got signed at this number at this time. And here we are five years later, and I'm essentially the same guy that you signed five years ago. And listen, I know everyone does not have the elite competitive edge of the best players on the planet. But there's got to be an in-between between the Tom Brady's of the world and what Tobias Harris showing us. Like, there's got to be some middle ground. Yeah, and I think that on some nights, Tobias competes, and he's a guy that, like, but other nights... He doesn't, and you're like, where is this guy? Does He's he invisible. Yeah, and, and that's the problem. The inconsistencies of a player to that magnitude. The problem is you're paying him on a star level. The role players, they are the guys who some nights they disappear, some nights they play really well. They are inconsistent, and right. that's why they are role players. You know, they always say the role players show up better at home. They feel more comfortable than going on the road. Well, Harris plays more like a role player. And the problem is the game was at home the other night, and he was a disappearing act. Right. You're at the point where, all right, now social media keeps asking, what do you do with Harris? Can you keep playing Harris? They have to play Harris. They don't really have, you know, and I would say this. No, you don't have to play Harris. You could stand up. And say, you know what? I don't care what this guy's getting paid. I'm not playing him. Now, that would be completely surprising. I don't think any coach in the entire NBA would do that. I think coaches in the NBA respect Tobias and value him. While also understanding he has his warts. The problem is at that price, you cannot look at your owner in the eye and say, we're benching this guy. Right. That's hard to do because he is not definitively worse than the next option, right? There are nights when he can score 25. There are nights when he plays really good defense. There are nights when he fills up. I mean, he can rebound. Yesterday he did have eight rebounds. And if you play who ahead of him more minutes, what is that guy's ceiling? And there are nights where you say, hey, why didn't you give Ricky Council more of a run? I'd rather see him get minutes right now than Tobias Harris. But just understand that no NBA coach, not Red Arbach, not Nick Nurse, not Doc Rivers, not anybody is sitting him. Good pull, Red Arbach. What are you, Chris Mad Dog Rooster over there? Well, I do know that he would be universally thought of as one of the great NBA coaches in a league that is not filled with very great NBA coaches. I'll wait for you to go to Phil Jackson. but Yeah, I mean, Phil Jackson you could have thrown in that spot too. He, he he would have been suffice. Phil Jackson, I don't know, is Greg Popovich no longer considered a great, like he was, when you said who's the best coach in the league, you always answered Greg Popovich. His name no longer ever seems to come up. No, it doesn't because 
We all wonder if he's just a byproduct of having great players. He's got one Wemby on it now. He's going to win the MVP, right? I mean, uh, Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Don't get ahead of yourself there. Just slip. <laughs> you play got a futures bet on Wemby at this point? For Rookie of the Year? No, or for MVP. MVP. Although Not you can make one. an argument for Chet Holmgren for Rookie of the Year. Possible. Uh, Sixers are off tonight to play Boston tomorrow. You can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, over 50% of you who voted said you watched the Phillies over the Sixers yesterday. Would you go? Sixers. You went Sixers, no Phils. No Phils. I went... I started off Sixers on the big TV, Phils on the laptop. Then you switched them? Game got to halftime. I made the switch. It never went back. Gotcha. Sixers on laptop, Phils on the big screen. Sixers lost me. Their first half effort was poor yesterday. Oh, it was definitely poor. 35-21 after one. And then they got bombed again in the second half, in the second quarter, 34-27. I said, all right, I'm switching this TV around. Went a little flyers yesterday. A little it, flyers. The Sixers was a great game that you could get some work done while it was on. Uh, Ten minutes. We got another chance for you to enter. A chance to win a trip to see the Phillies play the Orioles. At Camden Yards, keep it locked. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 10 on the top of the hour, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Hey, listen, today got a chance for you to win uh, some cool tickets to go see the full screening of Napoleon Dynamite, followed by a full freewheeling discussion with the stars of the show, the cast members. John Hader, who was uh, Napoleon Dynamite. John Grimes, who was Uncle Rico. And uh, Efren Ramirez, who played Pedro. So we'll give those tickets away a little bit later on today. That's for Ocean Casino Resort. We're live inside the Ocean Casino's Casino. So how many times have you heard this song during the uh, Wingstop commercial? Yeah, when they're playing Jenga. I don't even know what they're doing. All I know is this commercial, this song is on all the time. It's during, like, NBA games. Right. So it's a commercial for Wingstop. To which I ask the question, have you ever been to a wing stop? And where is the closest wing stop? That commercial yesterday was on twice in the same break. They played that commercial two times in the same commercial break. They played, then there was another commercial, then it came back on. Now, I have YouTube TV, so I don't know if my commercials are different than some other people's, whatever, depending on what you're watching. But do you know where the closest wing stop is? Well, I'm on their website right now. It looks like there's one in Jersey City, but I'm trying to see if there's one closer. That would be right now. That's the closest one that you can find. But when I typed in New Jersey, it first popped up Jersey City. So how many people hear that commercial and they're like, all right, if I ever hear this song again, that's all I kept thinking yesterday is, all right, I need more information on this. 
Where is the nearest wing stop? I've never been to a wing stop. Now, I've been to a wing house. There's a place in Clearwater called Kerr's Wing House. It's a guy who used to play for, I think he played for the Cowboys, and he's from the Tampa area. But it's a legitimate, complete ripoff of Hooters. By the way, there's a wing stop in Tom's River. Okay. We're getting closer down the parkway here. Yeah. So Jersey City. I got to say, with this Wingstop website, either my phone doesn't understand it or this website is complete garbage. So Jersey City. Tom's River. Tom's River. They're the closest ones you can find. Yeah, I keep clicking on search this area. There's one in Deptford. There is one in Deptford. Yes, there's one in Deptford. There's one in Clementon, wherever that is. There's one in Burlington. There's one in Cinnaminson. Were you in the Google search? Yeah, just write Wingstop, dude. What are you doing? This is, not a hard, this is not a hard thing to do. You write Wingstop in, Google finds everything for you. And you, you know, trust you everything Google shows you? Yes. I yes, don't. I do. Well, look at the map. You're going to tell me this map is wrong? I'm not looking at I'll look it up. So just type Wingstop in and check out the map. And they'll give you every Wingstop which is in the vicinity of where you're searching from. This is pretty easy to see. There's one in Deptford, Tom's River, Cinnaminson. Yeah, so Cinnaminson is more, you know, our area. Deptford would be pretty close to us, actually. I mean, you're only talking about 45 minutes away from here. So there is actual wing stops. There's one in Sicklerville. That's where Mosher lives, I think. I think he lives in that area. So you're talking about like William. That's not that far. So there's actually is wing stops somewhat in our area then. Okay. Like, I have never been to a wing stop. I've heard that song so many times to where I'm like, all right, I need more information on this wing stop here. So there is one close by. So the closest one looks like it is, uh, where is that? In, is Clementon or Deptford? I don't know where Clementon is. Mosher texted me. He said, yep. So I must, has, have he, has he been to wing stop? I don't know. We'll have to ask him. He's coming on in about six minutes. For football at four, but right now I need caller seven, 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller seven, you are entered to win a trip to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards at our Phillies watch party. The Phillies watch party is opening day at Maynard's in Margate. you got to be present to win. We're going to have Phillies and Braves on. First pitch is at 3 o'clock, by the way. So take the day off. Come and watch the Phillies with us at Maynard's in Margate. And we'll be giving away a road trip to Baltimore. Thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips. Those guys are great. That trip is going to be awesome. Camden Yards is awesome. And one lucky winner is going to that trip. Caller 7. It could be you. 609-573-3776. ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Just hungry to bring back another Lombardi to Philly. Uh, it's uh, The fans deserve it. Our team deserves it. Uh, culture begs for it. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by... 
Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. And, of course, Jeff Mosher. It's a Mosher Monday with Jeff Mosher here on Football at Four on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. And Jeff tells me there is a new wing stop in Deptford. No, no. Well, there is one because you read that, but there's one in my area of Sicklerville that just opened up, I want to say, last month. And that would be the one. I have not been there yet, uh, but that would probably be the one closest to your home base of listeners because Sicklerville is closer to the shore than Deptford or Clementon, which is just two towns away from me, and some of the other places you mentioned. Gotcha. Yeah, I got uh, one of our other producers, Nick Yearnshaw, he texted one. One just opened on Cross Keys Road, Blackwood Clementon Road. There's one as well. So there you go. Cross Keys is the one that's in my area, my neck of the woods. My yeah, that's pretty here. close to us. Like, well, that's pretty close to where our studios are. Yeah, I got 35 minutes drive. Not too bad for good wings. Yeah, I mean, I've never had the wings before, so I can't verify whether they're good or not. I mean, I just hear the commercial ad nauseum. That's all. Yeah, I haven't had them either yet. All right. Uh, all right, Mosh, we got, uh, what, about uh, 15 days until NFL free agency begins. But today was kind of an interesting start to uh, the free agency because teams made the decision. I want to kind of touch on one of the moves that has not happened, and that is Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler. None of them will be franchised. Now, I know we've talked a little bit about the running backs, but now that those guys, are you surprised by any of those names not being franchised? No, I'm not, because if you go back to our last conversation about the running backs class of free agents this year, I felt like they're not going to get paid the way they'd like to get paid and the way some We've seen, you know, a guy like Todd Gurley uh, maybe six or seven years ago, how he reset the market. I, I I don't think the league views this running back class as special. There are some good players. Certainly Josh Jacobs is a good running back. Certainly Saquon Barkley is a good running back. But I don't believe the league will view these running backs as elite and therefore worth spending the, the franchise tag money for one year. Um, now, Someone might get a multi-year deal for more than what the one-year franchise tag is going to offer, but I, I just suspect it's not going to be a great market for the running backs. So of that group, let's kind of break it down in two ways, Mosh. Do you like any of them to say, hey, I wish they would go after one of these guys, but I don't see it happening? Uh, or do you think any of those five are legitimate options? I don't think so because I still think these guys, you know, I, I, Saquon Barkley is going to get a multi-year deal. I just don't know how, how big of a number it's going to be. Same thing with Josh Jacobs. They're still young, still have good years ahead of them. You know, Derek Henry to me would be a good fit as a complimentary back for the Eagles with a great offensive line, the good offensive line, really good that they have, and the firepower around him. He would just have to accept the fact that he is now sort of like – that, guy, that like the way like Garrett Blunt was to the Eagles in 2017, and he'd obviously be a better version. I'm just sort of giving you the uh, the idea. He'd have to accept being a not the feature back anymore if he were to come to the Eagles, but part of a committee where he's a first and a second down running back. And and to do that, you also have to accept that you're only going to get paid like a, a situational running back. But there still might be a team out there, Mike 
that wants to pay him more, right, and give him a little bit more of a role than maybe the Eagles would. But I do think for the skill set and for the need of a bruising running back, yeah, it makes sense. I just don't know if it makes sense beyond the the, the, the theory of it uh, as far as the reality of it. And then you could sort of flip it and say the same thing for Austin Eckler in an offense with Kellen Moore where the running back can catch passes and be a little bit of a multi-dimensional weapon but not the lead weapon, not the guy who's going to touch the ball right. 20 times a game like he did with, with L.A. So uh, that's all going to depend on what these guys find in the market and what the teams are willing to give them and what roles these teams are willing to give them compared to what the Eagles want because there are probably five or six or seven other running backs, DeAndre Swift, one of them, who are underneath this core that can come in and do some really good things at a much lesser uh, price tag. Yeah, and running back is an interesting one because we're all kind of just like under the assumption that no one's going to pay these guys and then they're out there. Like if I was to say, you know, I was having the conversation last week about Tony Pollard and the person I was talking to was like, ah, the Cowboys will probably tag him. Well, they didn't. And now does Tony Pollard go and do like these guys, do you envision some of these running backs get into a situation where it's like, I got to get a one year prove it deal. And then that's where the Eagles kind of do their business. Yeah, you know, I could maybe DeAndre Swift because he's still young, right? And because he's kind of caught in this market where there's going to be, because nobody got tagged, there's going to be four or five running backs, all right. the ones we just talked about, signed elsewhere. It's not, there's not going to be like 15 teams looking for number one running backs or, or major, you know, your lead situational running back. So DeAndre Swift might say, look, I just had a pretty good year statistically with the Eagles, it benefits me to try to re-sign uh, one year and see if next year, when there are sm- you know fewer amount of running backs i got to contend with for money, uh, and maybe some teams have more money, I can strike it big, especially if I show the NFL that two years in a row I can stay healthy and be productive. So, That's... yeah, DeAndre Swift could be one of those people. And, and, Jeff, you know, the hard part is, you know, you say one-year prove-it deal. Well, at the running back position, one year – puts another year of wear and tear on you. And even if you prove it, I don't want to pay you for what you just did because I think you're going to get worse. So they're in a tough spot regardless. So it's almost like do these guys just kind of try to find the best fit for them. And that's where I know everyone's going to tie Pollard and Eckler because of their history with Kellen Moore. Yeah, they probably will. Uh, and and the, the, I think, Mike, the situation these guys will find themselves in is I'd rather have do more than a one-year deal, but what if I sign at a – because you're right, every year is a prove-it deal and every year is more miles on it, but what if I sign, say, like a two- or a three-year deal somewhere, but like 80% of the guaranteed money is in year one? Well, that's a one-year deal. You know, the agent's going to say, that's not really a two- or a three-year deal. You might be a free agent next year just for, or a cat casualty or released free agent, right? Um, looking for a new spot anyway. So if that's the best that somebody's going to offer you, uh, a two- or three-year deal that's structured like a one-year deal, you might have to compare that to the one-year deal you already have from your team right. where you're already comfortable and think way one versus the other. Um, yes, that, that's a good point there. Jeff Mosher, Football at 4, Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, on the latest Inside the Birds podcast, you guys kind of uh, looked at some interesting, valuable free agents. And I think this is kind of like this might be – I don't know. Where do you feel about the offseason in terms of like Howie? 
like, does he go out and get that big name guy, or is, are we looking at more value type of an off season? I'm looking at more aggressive off season this off season from Howie, um, specifically to address the secondary. He he has to. He needs two safeties, Mike, not just one, right? And I don't think it's a situation like linebacker last year where you're like, okay, I'll get you two safeties, and they're the safety version of. Nick Morrow and Zach Cunningham. That's not going to work. He knows that. And he needs a cornerback, especially seeing what they do with, with James Bradbury. And, you know, it's not easy to find a free agent corner because you have to pay the bejesus out of these guys. Like, Legereus Sneed is going to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? Now, he might be willing to pay that money. You may have to look at the trade market. But no matter what they do, Mike, I, I, he has to be. And I sense that he will be aggressive. This is not going to be patchwork, piecemeal, one-year deal to everybody to come in and just sort of fill a hole. Well, you, and you mentioned Snead. Um, he, he's a younger player at a position they really need. If you're going to, like, pony up the cash for somebody, it seems that outside younger corner – you know, would probably be the area you go. So this almost feels like a couple of years ago where they struck out with Byron Maxwell. They signed him, they gave him the big money, and he wasn't any good. Yeah, which has been an issue for the Eagles now going back quite a while. I mean, they haven't drafted well and developed well at the position in 20-some-odd years, and they've had trouble with free agent signings. Now, they got a really good year out of James Bradbury, but the contract they gave him now is biting them in the rear end. Uh, their best move was trading for Darius Slay a couple of years ago, which, by the way, Mike, came as plan B when they failed to sign Byron Jones in free agency, who they threw a ton of money at. He just took the money from Miami, zero sales tax, right, all that stuff. Uh, not sales tax, uh, whatever it is, income tax um, rate. So it wound up being more in Miami. So this has been a problematic area. And it brings me to a conversation that Adam Kaplan and I once had with Joe Banner. Uh, talking about the Eagles' failures in this department at that specific position. And he said, yes, it's true they failed in the draft. Yes, it's true um, they have not developed it the way other teams have. But you got to at least give them credit. This was after the Darius Slay trade where um, sometimes if you recognize your weakness, you then have to go out and figure out how you're going to overcome it. And for Howie, it's been trying to either use free agency or the trade market to address that weakness. I, I kind of think that's a cop-out, but – I get what you're saying. And if you recognize you have a weakness, you gotta you have to correct it. But man, it would be great if this team could just draft good cornerbacks early in the draft and develop them for once. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, that's an area where you're absolutely right. They have struggled to find young guys, uh, and they look. Over the years, Moshe, it seems like for the last five years, every trade they made, it's like a baseball GM saying, hey, just throw in a single A, you know, arm that I can just get. Like, they seem like they've just had, hey, give me a Mac McCain. Give me somebody that plays cornerback. And none of those guys have stuck. No, yeah, you're right. The Mac McCains, the Carrie Vincents. There was uh, there was a kid from Arizona whose name I'm for Tay Gowan. Tay Gowan was involved in the deal. Good yeah, pull. Listen, I, Good pull. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I get that, and I think that there's some value in throwing darts when it doesn't cost you anything. That's, that's the industry term. Let's just throw darts, right? They did this a wide receiver a couple of years ago, late in the draft. John Hightower was one, and, of course, Quez Watkins was one, and then they had another. Well, Quez Watkins, you know, we can debate how good he is to the – I mean, we know he's got issues and deficiencies, but for, I think, a sixth-round pick, he's going to be in his fifth year this coming year. So he is, quote-unquote, a success story because half those 90% of those guys don't even make it. Yeah. So and that's... there's something to be said for throwing darts, but 
at cornerback, Mike. They've been throwing darts for 20 years and always, you know, you're at the bar and you hit like the, the, the window instead of the dartboard, right? <laughs> like, you know, the, the dart gets bounced back to you because you hit it so hard off the wrong thing. That, that's what the Eagles have done at corner. <laughs> Yes, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, Jeff Mosher, football at four. Uh, last week on one of your pods, you guys went over some defensive guys, uh, free agents. And obviously we always tie guys that have ties to a coach. One of them is Andrew Van Ginkle. The other one is Josie Jewell. Those both played for Vic Fangio. Would those be two guys that if they landed here, that Howie would have done a good job? Because of their familiarity with the system, I wouldn't call them sort of game changers, but I, I don't think at linebacker, you know, we're even accustomed here to Eagles going out and getting someone you would call a game changer at linebacker. You're just looking for somebody who can play the position at a good enough level that you got from, say, TJ Edwards or, you know, a couple of years ago going back to Jordan Hicks. Even, even when they had, um, uh, two years ago, the kid for, who went to Arizona last year, Kaiser White, right? I mean, you're just looking for guys who can play. Josie Jewell played in the scheme. He knows the scheme. He's been productive in the scheme. I, he would, of course, be an upgrade, I believe. But is, is, that where, is that where, like, do you think the linebacker position is evolving in the league and the Eagles aren't evolving their, their mindset on it or not really? Like, we, all, we look at the running back position, and I think we might all agree that, you know what, you probably don't have to pay a running back. Like, you can find one of those guys, and he doesn't have to be – uh, you know, a big pay guy. But is that changing at linebacker? I haven't yet. I mean, last year in the first round, one team took a linebacker, right? A, like a stack linebacker it was the Lions. Um, <laughs> it's for it too. Uh, and I, I think he had a pretty decent year. But I, I you know, Fred Warner's the best linebacker in the league. What was he, a third round pick? So it seems like teams are very willing to wait till day two. Chiefs are a great example. Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, right? Um, wait till day two. They signed the Chiefs signed Drew Tranquil. He wound up playing uh, a role for them on a one-year deal. I think teams are, are much more willing to try to do that and hope that with great development, you might find yourself a Fred Warner, but more likely you're the Eagles and you get T.J. Edwards as an un- undrafted free agent and you develop in, into a highly efficient, pretty good starter. That, right. That's still what I think the Eagles and most teams look at the position. Like, if you brought in a Van Ginkle, is he, like, replacing somebody or playing? Is he a rotate? Like, you know, I, he's more of a tweener type of guy. So, like, if you if they signed that, you know, that type of player, what is the messaging there? Well, that's a great point because I did ask Greg Cosell this in the um, in the Cosell on the Inside the Verse platform that dropped Friday. We talked about Ginkle, Van Ginkle, and what – what he actually, I'm sorry, the one that dropped today. He's interesting because he came out of Wisconsin as an edge rusher, day three guy, I believe. Um, but he had the athleticism when they had injuries at stack linebacker to go ahead and play off the ball and then go back to playing on the ball as an edge rusher. So I asked Craig, you know, maybe there's a thing that could start where you're kind of like the way the corners usually, you know, Sheldon Brown would start on the outside, then move inside a nickel. Maybe you can start this guy as a stack linebacker on first and second down, but then once you get into your nickel, you move him into a rotational pass rusher. And maybe, maybe you can use him that way. I I think keeping him in one spot probably isn't ideal if he can play two spots well. But So I don't know who's one particular job he would take, but I do feel like his his natural position is edge rusher. And if he were to join the Eagles, he'd probably be a rotational edge rusher. He's not, as, as long as Hassan Reddick and Sweat 
are still there. I don't see Van Ginkle starting, but he's certainly someone who can rotate in and give you a lot of snaps. Yeah, and then a guy like Josie Jewell, he, he plays alongside like N'Kobe Dean. He would play alongside N'Kobe Dean, exactly. So that one would make some sense. The Van Ginkle one seems like you would sign him maybe if you ended up moving Redick. Yeah, I mean, but again, are, are you signing him to replace Redick or then you're signing him? If you lose Redick, you've got now Nolan Smith in year two, you're, and you, let's say you sign Van Ginkle. Okay, you got Van Ginkle. I, I think you're probably using that pick you get for Redick on an edge rusher because now you're really young and raw. You mean at 22? No, I mean, if you're trading Redick, you might get a high, a low first, high second. You might, I don't know, you could package them and move up. I'm just saying pass rusher is very much on the table. I mean, it is all, already because it's the Eagles, but I think you're going to really want to add to that group because, you know, Brandon Graham's older now. You, wait, so you think, so you're, you're saying with yeah. the pick you get for Redick, you think the Eagles would get a first round pick if they traded Redick? Trading Reddick unless they get something in the top forty, right? I mean, like they're not taking a third round pick for us on Reddick. Oh, I, I, I'm that's what I'm I, like. The mindset of like, yeah, we'll trade you, but like, go find out what your value is. And if they get like, hey, third or fourth round pick, the Eagles might say, eh, not interested. Uh, exactly. But then that exactly. that though, Jeff adds to another conversation of now you've ticked him off that you're saying we're not going to trade you and we're not going to pay you. I don't know that. I mean, I think that there's a happy medium. Certainly, I mean, this happened to Chris Jones, and he held out. And Chris Jones lost money overall by holding out because he didn't get anything other than a couple of incentives. Now, he actually reached those incentives by winning the Super Bowl, but they, you can't, the teams can't absorb the fines anymore for holdouts. So whatever he lost in holding out, I remember reading this. He didn't make back with those incentives, so he lost money. So, yeah, you could take off. Hassan Reddick all you want. And he can say, you know what? I'm not showing up until like the day before the season opener. I'll, I'll fly myself to Brazil uh, on my own dime because that's how mad I am. And you know what the Eagles are going to say, Mike? They're going to say, okay. I mean, do you really think – you've seen their training camp practices. Do you really think they think they need Hassan Reddick at OTAs and training camp? Heck no. Right. I mean, I know he's getting a little older, but the speed off the edge is the speed off the edge. He's not changing – as a player. Now, they may say, all right, we know this is definitely our last year of him, and now we're looking at the draft and we're getting an edge rusher, and, you know, we might add a veteran like Van Ginkle or something to, to deepen the crew. But there's, this is why I said there's really no leverage on Hassan Reddick's part unless he wants to lose an entire year of accreditation and salary, which, you know, nobody's done that since Le'Veon Bell, and that didn't work out for him. Um, one of the things you talked about with Greg Cosell were corner. Is there a guy in free agency that can replace Maddox? Um, you know, there's a guy that we talked about in uh, Miami, and again, it's sort of you go with that Vic Fangio uh, scheme where his name is um, his name is Nick Needham, I believe it was. So he's someone that we were just tossing around the name of. I mean, it's hard. You're, you're, you're looking at a very specific type of corner there someone who just plays the nickel spot well. The Eagles have done well drafting there um, in the past. And, you know, they'll have Zach McPherson coming back from, from the Achilles, so he'll get a little bit of a run there, too. You know, they've signed guys like Nicole Roby, Coleman in the past, Patrick, um, 
Patrick, who am I Robinson. Patrick Robinson, right. So um, there might be a couple of veterans, but there, and again, there's probably going to be about three or four guys that are released over the next few few weeks. Is there someone we mentioned that caught your attention? I I don't remember at this point. Um, no, not necessarily. Well, I, I, the one guy that you guys talked about that I can totally see them signing is like Eli Apple, who is a local guy. He played for. Vic and like you're like yeah maybe he's the Patrick Robinson a guy who was a first round pick hasn't really reached his potential I don't know that he would fit um, you know w- would be a slot guy but he he would be one guy that I wouldn't be surprised if they took a shot on hey he was a first round pick yada yada local guy all that jazz and don't forget about Isaiah Rogers you know they they claimed him or signed him I forget how it worked uh, from the Colts when he was suspended all year he actually. People always say that's that's a guy who's going to compete at nickel. He was an outside corner for the Colts, yes. uh, who played a little bit. Yeah, of we nickel, had Andrew I, Andrew on last week, and he was pretty insistent. Like he is not a slot guy. Like people who are banking on him to really compete at the slot don't realize he doesn't really have a whole lot of experience there, and he's missed an entire year of football. But certainly at five foot nine, the Eagles will give him a shot there and see what they've got. Yeah. But he just gives you an option that's already in-house that a lot of people forget about. All right, uh, Jeff Mosher, the Combine is this week. Andrew and Adam are in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine, which is underway this week. And, of course, the draft season will be here, the NFL free agency period. We are inside a month now to NFL free agency. In fact, uh, how many Mondays from now? One, two, three Mondays three. is when yep. NFL free agency gets underway. The Inside the Birds podcast. You can get that on any podcasting platform. And, of course, uh, a condensed version right here on Football at 4 on the Sports Bash. All right, Jeff. Enjoy your wing stop. Okay. All right, man. Jeff Mosher, everybody, from the Inside the Birds podcast. And, of course, he appeared um, thanks to Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. All right, coming up. Nicky Earnshaw, our uh, Nick's Nuggets are on the way. I'm interested to see what he picks today because there's a lot happening. I'm wondering if Earnshaw is as perceptive as I think he is as a producer and caught what intrigued me in yesterday's Phillies game. Now, there is a Phillies game that happened today. They lost. That game was up. They were up 6-3. They ended up losing 7-6. Not that it matters. I didn't recognize many of the pitchers in the game today. But I'm wondering if Earnshaw is perceptive enough about yesterday's game and that that's part of his nuggets today. We'll see how many nuggets he has for Nick's Nuggets coming up next on the Sports Bash. Plus, in 30 minutes, another chance for you to qualify like Matt in Dennis Township did. Matt, congratulations. We'll see you opening day at Maynard's and Margate for our Phillies watch party. We are going to rock Maynard's and Margate Phillies watch party. Three o'clock, first pitch against the Braves. And we're going to give away a trip to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Canton Yards. And that's all thanks to Philly Sport Trips. I'll get you more details on that. Nick's Nuggets are coming up. And in the five o'clock hour... I've got tickets. Our friends at Ocean Casino Resort have a very special evening with the cast of Napoleon Dynamite. So listen, in the 5 o'clock hour, I'm giving away those tickets tonight as well. We're jam-packed on a Monday edition 
of the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. We have the perfect... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Traffic, come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 432 on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. This hour brought to you by Broadleys Plumbing Heating AC. Broadleys, your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 online at broadleys.net. Hey, coming up at 455, it's another chance for you to enter to win a Phillies road trip to see the Phillies in Baltimore against the Orioles. We'll have a Phillies watch party on Thursday, March 28th. The Phillies open the season against the Braves. We'll be at Maynard's and Margate. All are invited to come out and watch the Phillies opener, but you have to enter to win the road trip to Baltimore thanks to Philly Sports Trip. There's Nikki Earnshaw. It's another edition of Nick's Nuggets. As uh, I am very interested to see if one of my observations from the Phillies game made your list of nuggets for today. I am holding you to a high producer standard, Nick Earnshaw. Oh, man. I don't know. I hope I can live up to it today. I'm not sure if I will, but we'll see. I got a four-piece for you today, Mike. A four-piece nugget today. First, I got to start. I'm starting with the Phillies. Uh, I was reading an article in Sports Illustrated today, so I don't know if you've heard how the Phillies are trying to work on their defensive game. We know they have uh, had struggles in, in the field in the past. They have defensively have been one of the worst in the league over the past few seasons. But apparently, they're using uh, pickleball as an inspiration to get better defensively. They're calling it Paco Ball. That was coined by the Athletics' Matt Gelb. Uh, Paco Figueroa uh, kind of led the charge here. Uh, it's a combination of four-square squash, pickleball um, to get better uh, fundamentals defensively. Apparently, Kyle Schwarber is the worst out of the group. The outfielders are the ones that are kind of the main uh, players that are contributing in, in this little game they've been playing to the side uh, to work on their fundamentals defensively. Nick Castellanos, kind of the ringleader of this. So I wanted to get your thoughts. Pickleball for inspiration to get better defensively? Do we love it? Do we hate it? I, I like it. I okay. think it, it's a good team bonding experience. I, I, right. I was going to say, I have never played pickleball before in my life. I don't Neither think I've ever actually seen it being played before. So I still have a visual problem of what the sport is. Like, I've never seen anybody play it. So... Like, I don't even know what, like, it's like a cross of like ping pong and tennis and, tennis, and like, yeah. Yeah. So I, we had a team building for work, uh, and I wasn't here for it. I missed okay. it. Um, not that I could have gone anyway. I think it was during my show, but it was like one of those things where like everybody, like the sales team and the programming side, like, Hey, we're all going right. to go out and play pickleball together. And I didn't make that. So I have like never actually seen this game played. That being said, like, is it supposed to help with, like, your hand-eye? Is it at that the point of why the Phillies are doing it? 
Yeah, so it's like going to help with hand-eye coordination, agility, uh, working on moving your feet, things of that nature, just to build up your athleticism. And I, it, it's apparently they're having a lot of fun with it. And Bryson Stott's been one of the infielders that have, has tried to play this game, and they've kind of, like, knocked them away from it. I will say, anything, like, drill-wise that you can come up with to make it not so monotonous, I'm all on board with. I'm always about trying to find new ways and drills and stuff, but... Here's what I will say on the defensive aspect of the Phillies. If Johan Rojas is playing center field every day and then like a Pache, Marsh, platoon in left field and no Schwarber essentially, you are going to save exponentially more runs than you did the first half and a so or so of last season. You will be a much, much, much better defensive team right out of the shoots, and I wonder how many games that's worth to this team just by being better in left field, significantly better in left field, and really better in center field as well. Now all of a sudden your outfield, two-thirds of your outfield is really good as opposed to two-thirds of your outfield being poor or average. And I'll tell you what, Castellanos stepped up in the playoffs in 22 and kind of carried it over at times uh, during last season and the 23 season. So yeah, I he's like not horrible. He that right now. He has become, I, I said this last year and got some heat from some listeners. I said he has become an adequate outfielder. Yes. He's fine. He'll make the flashy play. He'll make a big catch. Now he'll make mistakes at times. He doesn't have great speed, but he's all right out there in right field. I thought it was interesting that they're play. They're using a pickleball inspired drill uh, to get better defense. I heard it's, that. It's popular. Yeah, I heard that yesterday. The conversation between McCarthy and Schwarber yeah. during the broadcast, and he said, "Yeah, I think I'm the worst." Now I think they do it with their opposite hand. Yeah, yeah, because they're working everything. They're they're trying to get. I think it helps with their agility, like it meant the article mentioned, uh, things like that. So I think it was pretty cool. I was reading about that. All right, nugget number two. Go here on Nick's Nuggets. Uh, it's about the pitching. So I, I I think that's where you were going with it. Your observation, I'm not sure, but Aaron Nola bounced back here. He pitched two innings yesterday. Looked really good. Two innings pitched, three Ks. His first start of the spring um, last season. He was good. He was good as the season rolled along, right? Like September, he got a little bit, bit better. He pitched pretty well in the, into the playoffs, but he gave up a lot of home runs last year, 32 to be exact. And his walks were up. The ERA was also up a whole run as well. So what are you expecting out of Aaron Nola heading into this season? Because I think he is an important piece of this team and you need to get a full season out of him. Like he pitched in September down the stretch. I think you need a full season of that this year. All right. So I'm not a Nola hater. I appreciate Nola for what he is. He is a innings eater. He can, you know, twirl a gem at any time. The fans get mad because they want him to be, you know, his worst, thing was 2018 I guess when he finished mm-hmm. third in the Cy Young award that raised the expectations to levels that never should have gotten when they drafted Nola he was thought to be like a middle of the rotation guy well he becomes kind of a number two guy but then one year he is like an ace Cy Young award candidate well now everybody wants him to be an ace Cy Young award candidate every year. And what he is is a really good number two. And really good number twos in today's game, they're Aaron Nola. Like there's not a lot of great pitchers. There's not a lot of pitchers who go deep into games. I felt that last year Nola really struggled with the pitch clock. I yep. think he had a lot of problems with pace and rhythm. And as the season went on, I think he got more comfortable with that to the point where in September he was really good. Now, coming into this year, 
I think that should be behind him and that we should see a much more consistent. I didn't say better, but consistent Nola because I think Nola, you know, one of the things with him is, and Kyle Schwarber talked about this. He was on the podcast, uh, the Starkville with, with, uh, Jason Stark and, and Doug Glanville. He said, if we would have let Knowles go, where are we replacing those innings? Like just like maybe he doesn't have a great game, but how much he saves your bullpen because he goes six innings or seven innings in a game. And that is worth its, its, its value big time. So. Look, my anticipation for Nola is he's not going to be in the Cy Young conversation like he was in 20, I guess that was 2018, maybe even 2017. But I think he was fourth a couple of years ago. Yeah, he finished third. Ago, he, he finished, finished third in, yeah. the, in the Cy Young balloting. But, man, at the top of the rotation, I don't know that you get much better than Wheeler and Nola uh, for any team. I mean, name-wise, I think Nola's name is not as flashy as maybe some of the others around baseball, but he's been in the playoffs the last two years, and... Uh, has won some big games for this team. Yeah, he's an innings eater. Uh, I just I want to see a little bit more out of him. He can't hang the curveball. Sometimes he gets a little bit too curveball happy at times when he's pitching. So he, he's going to be a guy I'm looking at. 2022, he finished fourth in the Cy Young voting. Oh, 2022, he finished fourth. 22. He had, yeah. he was third one year. Yeah, it was 2018. I think you were. Okay, you were so saying. that's yeah, the year where he was really yeah. good. He was an All Star that year. As well. All right. So I got to, before I move on to a different sport, what did I miss your mark on what your observation was yesterday? Yes. Was it the bullpen? I, I, no, it was Turner hit leadoff yesterday and Schwarber hit four. Is that, is that them toying with us? Is that a possibility? Like, are they thinking about it or are they just messing with us? I think they're just messing with you. Kyle Schwarber should be the leadoff hitter. There's no doubt in my mind he needs to be the guy at the top of the lineup. He, they win games when he's at the top of the lineup. I'm they just win. saying. I, he gets on base. I, I I don't want Turner leading off. I like him at two. I need Schwarber to lead off. It doesn't I'm just make saying, any sense, but it makes sense. I'm just saying, <laughs> yesterday they were both in the lineup. You could have said Schwarber one, Turner two, <laughs> Castellanos three, or Stott three. Cast, and they chose to go a different way. I just thought that was – I said, I think it's interesting. And then people on social media, it's like, it's spring training. You're reading too much into it. I said – then why not just hit your leadoff guy leadoff? He was in the lineup. We know Rob Thompson's going to tour with the lineup at times. They did it last year to start the year, and look what happened. They had to go back to Schwarber in the leadoff spot. I, I think they're just going to check it out this year because you have to remember, they were in the World Baseball Classic last year to start spring training. So they were kind of testing it out in the regular season. Well, last year, Turner started the year one, mm-hmm. Schwarber started the year four, and or three or four, one of those two. And by June, they went back the other way. And then if you know you're going to go back that way, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That was my observation I thought was interesting. It was interesting. But, hey, Schwarber gets on base. He can lead off your game with a home run. I I like him there. I want to leave him there. All right, nugget number three. And this is a stale nugget for me because I mentioned this guy (laughs) last last week on Thursday during the first iteration of Nick's Nuggets. I got to go back to Doc Rivers again. Uh, The Sixers played the Bucs over the weekend. They lost that one. Uh, But before the game, Doc Rivers was making more comments as he's, you know, been on his excuse tour, his generational quote run uh, as of late. The quote (laughs) was uh, during the press conference, I didn't think Joel got the ball enough. Trust me, it was for him to get it, and he didn't get it. I don't know how healthy he was, referring to game six last year in the postseason against the Boston Celtics. Now, from what I took from that quote, 
Was that low-key a shot at James Harden? Yes. Because that's how I took it. That's how I took it from, okay. it, from I'm, my perspective. I'm glad you said that because, you know, I got into it yesterday with some people on social media, and I said, mm-hmm. you know, they said, well, he's the coach. I said, yeah, the coach can't make the pass. If Harden's not on board and Harden doesn't want to do what he's told, what is the coach? Like, you could say you could bench him. Nobody's benching him, okay? You're not benching James Harden in the playoffs. It's just not happening. So, yes, he's low-key. And, look, he has insinuated this in the past, though, too, that he wasn't yeah. really on board with every – like, he kind of said, like, the the plan was to get Joel the ball more, and that didn't happen. He said that in the past as well, and he brought it up again yesterday. So, yes, I do think that was his way of saying – I'm not a dummy. Of course I wanted Joel to get the ball more, but there was someone on the team who had himself prioritized higher than the rest of us. Exactly. Yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting. You know, he's still making comments about last year. Um, I just I can't believe the run he's been on. Uh, Doc Rivers, what a he just he puts out great quotes and great content for us. It's just just, just awesome. I, he could keep doing it. I want to I want to put him in the past, though. Stay in Milwaukee. I don't need to hear it again. All right. Number four, nugget number four uh, here on Nick's Nuggets. I got to ask you. So I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm, I have no life, Mike Gill. So I go out as of late. Uh, I've been searching for the newest edition of the Slam magazine uh, cover. Uh, it's, it's a magazine, basketball magazine. Tyrese Maxey was the iteration for February and March. Really cool cover, legendary. Because I have no life, I've been going to Barnes and Noble, Target, all these places, right, trying to find this magazine because it hasn't come out yet. There was delays. I was asking the worker there. All right, I, you know, I, I want this magazine. So I got to ask you because I hung, I already hung it up in my office, the Tyrese Maxey cover. What is your most memorable Philly sports cover? Of all time. That's, that's what I, I wanted to ask you. I put out a video about this yesterday. Um, and I, I wanted to get what your thoughts were, Mike. The most memorable Philly sports cover. That's a really good question. Man, like this I is one of those where like Nick Earnshaw's like, all right, we're coming in and here's some show topics for you today. You, you would need me to research this like starting at noon. <laughs> Some Philly, because I'm trying to like, you know, when I'm a kid, Sports Illustrated is like the Mecca. I don't even really, was Iverson like on the cover of Sports Illustrated? I know he was on the Slam magazine. That's a big one. When Iverson was on. t shirts of that. Yeah. t shirts of the the Iverson one. I think the Maxi one's even cooler. Like it it, it reminds me of the Iverson. It's like this generation's Iverson cover. I didn't see the Maxi. I haven't seen the, I didn't know Slam magazine was still uh, hanging out. I mean, it's still on hang. Yeah, they're still around. And that's why I said I'm a loser. Like I'm I'm going out trying to find it in person. (laughs) I could have ordered it online, but I'm an old man. So in a young person's body. So I mean, that's what I had to do. uh, The first one that comes to mind is Iverson on the Slam. I said Sports Illustrated because I'm thinking about, I'm trying to think of a Philly sports like uh, the ultimate. Weapon when Randall yeah. Cunningham was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That one would, would be probably one that I remember. Um, the Iverson on the Slam would be one that I remember. Oh, how about Nick Foles when they won the Super Bowl, the Philly Special? Yeah, that's a good one. That, I have one, that one hanging up too. Yeah. Um, Oh, let's see. You got, oh, the, well, there's one with, uh, Bird and, 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 uh, Dr. J in the, in, in the Eastern Conference Finals going back into like the 80s. Oh, that's a good one. Before your time there. But that one where Bird and, and Dr. J's going up to block the shot. Uh, there's a great one with, um, I want to say Moses Malone on the cover yeah. back in 83 when they went to the finals. 
the faux, faux, faux. Uh, they didn't say that on the cover, but there's some ones there. But, I mean, you got me in a good one there. You got me in a good yeah. spot. I had to come with you with that one. Um, so I, for me, I, there was a one uh, Sixers won a couple years back when they traded with Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid, they all, and Ben Simmons, they were all in the circle kind of looking down at the photo. I think that was a cover of Sports Illustrated. And that kind of defined kind of the process of, oh, it's now, but they didn't go very far because that was the year that Kawhi hit the big shot. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, Josh just sent me a link that has uh, every time that Philadelphia has been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So I did hit off on a couple of these here, but yeah. one. That I know there was an Iverson one when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Right. It's him, uh, basically. So it's different from the, the iconic slam one, but it, a similar vein. You had the one with, um, the, the, the aces on it. It was Hamels, Oswalt, yeah. Lee. Yep. That one was one that I, that I really remember that stands out to me. Um, yeah. So there's a couple good ones there. There's one. Yeah, All right. Here's sure. one. It's Mike Schmidt and George Brett. Now that's one oh, when I was that, a kid. Yeah, it's a classic one. That's a big one. There, you had uh, the the Phillies and the Royals. Um, There's a bunch. Man, McNabb was on it a bunch. You didn't realize how often McNabb was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The the Randall Cunningham, the ultimate weapon, and then there was another one with him. When uh, it says Monday Night Madness, it's an NFL preview with Randall Cunningham on the cover there. So Randall's been on. Here's one with Jim McMahon, and he has the 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 face shield on. It says Masked Marvel. That's when he replaced um, uh, Randall Cunningham when when Cunningham got hurt that year. That's a good one. That's a good one. I think I do have the four aces one because I, I have magazines and books just all over the place in my office. But that, I had to ask you about that one. I, I'm a nerd, so I, I wanted to see what your thoughts were, your favorite one of all time was. All right. Uh, good stuff. Nick's Nuggets, another edition in the books there. Now, you didn't get what my observation was. I had one other observation from yesterday, and it was Cal Peterson, a left-handed goalie. How awkward he looked. <laughs> oh, that was brutal yesterday. It was a back-and-forth game. Uh, I, I saw something on social media saying, I guess Danny Breer and Keith Jones want to get back into the rebuilding process, right? <laughs> <laughs> They start counting right onto the onto the train right here to start rebuilding the team. All right, Nick Earnshaw. Don't forget his podcast, The Shift, and uh, Weekends in the Locker Room. And uh, Nick's Nuggets are back on Thursday and Friday right here on the Sports Bash. Thanks, Nick. Good job, man. All right, I'll talk to you, Mike. Have a good one, John. All right, when we come Thursday. back, we've got plenty more to go, including another chance for you to qualify for that road trip to Baltimore. It's the Sports For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. And I am the voice! I'm the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. And what do you know? That sounder right there is our contest sounder for you to enter for a road trip to Baltimore to see the Phillies and the Orioles at Camden Yards. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips. Be caller 7 right now at 609 573 3776 609 
573-3776. Caller number seven. Right now, you're entered for a Phillies road trip to Baltimore's Camden Yards to see the Phillies play the Baltimore Orioles. We're going to be having a Phillies watch party opening day for the Phillies and Braves at Maynard's in Margate. But you must be present to win the trip. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips right now. Call number 7609-573-3776. Good luck. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. After five on a Monday, Sports Bash. So many things happened this weekend. Couple Sixers games, couple Flyers games. They lost back to back Saturday and Sunday. Sixers won Friday night, lost yesterday. They'll play the Celtics tomorrow night on 97.3 ESPN. Also, you got the Phillies back now. They played over the weekend. They played today. I asked a question over at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Simple question, poll question yesterday. Which game do you have the most interest in? Now, I watched all three games, but I had the Sixer game on the big TV for the first half. Flyers game was on, excuse me, Phillies game was on my laptop. Game got to halftime. I flipped them and never went back. I kept the Sixer game on the laptop because, quite frankly, they gave me zero effort yesterday. It was awful to watch that game. And uh, I asked people before the game, which game... Are you paying most attention to today? Sixers, Bucks, Phillies, Yankees, Flyers, Penguins. And an overwhelming amount went with the Phillies. 53% said Phillies. But as we get into our Monday edition of the Sports Bass Live, Ryan Rothstein for the following segment here, I thought the number two answer, Phillies were number one. But I thought how close two and three were was what stood out to me the most. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit surprised that the runaway was the Phils. Fifty three percent went Phillies. I mean, dude, like, listen, I understand there's no Joel Embiid. I understand it. But I'm looking at that game. I'm looking at Doc Glenn Rivers, who everyone hates that man's face. You know, so that's a big game. It's on national TV. Pat Bev's coming back, right? Like, that's a game with a lot of intrigue, at least I would think, compared to a Philly spring training game. So I'm surprised the Sixers lost, even without Embiid. All right, so there's a lot there, too. But here was the thing that stood out to me. 53% went Phillies-Yankees. 24% went Sixers-Bucks. 22% went Flyers-Penguins. Are we at the point where Flyers almost have more interest than where this Sixers team is right now? That, to me, is what stood out. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, the Flyers right now, the Flyers, and I want your thoughts on this, uh, of course, but right now they are the perfect story for a fan base, for any city, because there's zero expectations. Yep. They're winning. They're fun. And they're a you know historic, obviously big time franchise with a lot of weight and cachet in our area. So this year, it's like they're playing with house money at the casino right now. The Flyers. 
Yeah, so I mean, they might they might have surpassed the Sixers. Well, the building's starting to get a little life in it again. They're a team that they here's what this is what stands out to me, okay, about why the Flyers are becoming popular again and that people are getting mm-hmm. back on. It is this infatuation that fans have with the coach. You either blame the coach and hate the coach or I love torts because the guy is rough and he holds people accountable. And so Tortorella is a guy that the fans like. And therefore, Mm -hmm. even though the team has no shot to win a Stanley Cup, but they're in the playoff race, the fact that Tortorella is liked by the fans has increased the interest. If they had just some hunky-dory coach like uh, the guy they had from college a couple of years ago who nobody liked, uh, he's the coach out in Seattle. What's his name? Hackstall. Nobody yeah. liked Hackstall. Yeah, if Hackstall was I mean, the, most of them are stiffs too. Right, but if <laughs> Hackstall was the coach of this team, I don't think they would be as popular. But because people, they like torts, he always yells and screams, and he tells the reporters off, he, this team is embraced because of that. Uh, dude, if we, if me and you went around with a microphone or, or our phones, microphone might not even be needed anymore, and asked 300 Philadelphia sports fans, name a flyer. If they got anything right, it would be torts before a player. They would name torts like he's the most popular flyer by far. Like to the average fan, he yeah. is the guy. He You're is probably the draw. Right. And, you know, there's no expectations, like I said. So this Flyers team has a coach that has a personality of the city with zero expectation. Yeah. No, so he's, this might th- – yeah. He's hit the perfect storm with a team with no expectations that everybody thought was going to be terrible. And the, the whole thing, the Flyers have gotten this right. They picked the right two people to be in charge with Jonesy, a popular guy who was – well liked, and then Briere, a really good player. You know the Flyer fan, the Philadelphia fan. You know, make Chase Utley the manager, uh, make Seth Joyner the defensive coordinator. Well, the Flyers actually went out and got a player that was well liked and made him the GM, and it's working for them. So they've kind of got like the perfect thing going: the likable player, the good player, and the coach that is like well liked. So that's there, but. I think it's telling the story of where people are with this Sixers team right now is they are more intrigued by the Phillies in their second exhibition game, the Flyers, than they are a Sixer team, which I can't really blame them right now. Man, it's uh I know, dude. Like I want to come on here and and say shame on you, and I can lay out an argument for it, and I'll do that, I guess, in a second because I'm still all in on the Sixers. I'm a little bit different when it comes to them. But, uh, man, what do you think? Like, do you think not just yesterday, right, MG, but overall as we transition forward, and this is sort of what we're getting at, but where's the intrigue lie? Like, do you think for you and just for the majority that the Sixers are really in third place right now, that no one cares? Um, I feel the Sixers have – look, there was a time – the the height of the Ben uh, Embiid Butler like I think they were two I think they were like the number two team 
in town, like post process, them going from 18 wins to 50 or whatever, 28 to 52. From that mm-hmm. point on, they like blasted onto the scene from a, like, you know, they had the process years, then they won 20 some games, and then they won 52 games. And ever since that time, it felt like they had a stranglehold on the number two. Well, constant disappointment coupled with the Phillies getting to a World Series and then back to the playoffs. I think the Phillies have surpassed them. And the 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 apathy towards, oh, I'll only believe in you if you get out of the second round, really hurt this team. And then I thought at the beginning of this year that people were like, okay, this team at least is interesting and different. Maybe I'll give you another shot. And then Embiid getting hurt just kicks you in the stones, man. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's a nice way of putting it, MG. It, it really is. The the Embiid injury and then another trade deadline just news feed slop. And, and I just mean there's just a ton of trades again with the Sixers, more roster change. It's just like we've seen this story. We've seen the movie and we at least we think as a majority fan base, we know how the movie ends and that's the problem but i'll say this the phillies still a lot of excitement an absolute historic collapse up three two going back to the bank against that jv arizona diamondbacks team okay how many more losses in the playoffs can the phillies sustain before that sixers apathy starts to infiltrate oh yeah citizens bank park i think this is it because it will be a third time now that, like, you pulled the rug out for me with the same players. See, that's the thing. I think this is a likable group. You got Bryce Harper. I think, you know, Schwarber, even though they don't like him hitting leadoff, he's a likable guy. People like JT. They like Stott. You know, I, I like, this is a team that I don't think people like. I think they like them. But if they, oh, they love them. If they don't win a World Series with this crew, this might be the last we see of this crew. I, I Well, yeah, that's a good point, but I think this is it. You know, I, I agree with you. This season is it. I don't know. And Bryce Harper doesn't even have the excuse, really. I know he's dealt with some significant injury. He doesn't have the excuses Joel Embiid has. I mean, Bryce Harper has been a, a, a star, a leading actor of this movie and its failures. So, yeah. You know, they got to change. But keep this in mind, too. If they don't win and then you have this over kind of hanging of Harper asking for a new contract, all that, that's why I think this is not a good look for him at this time. I think I just don't think this is the right time for him to be asking for this. And he's well within his right to say, hey, I want more money and I deserve more money. Fine. But I just think it's a bad look. Dude, it's a horrible look. And the worst part of it for me is how he's going about it. It's like, bro, you know what? If you want to ask for your money, ask for it. But he's like, he's lot, he's he's saying one thing to the media and us, the fans, and then he's doing another thing to the team. Right? He's like, I'm going to play whatever position I need to play. I'm a team player. And then a report comes out. It's like, well, he's he moved to first base for you, so that's why he needs more money. It's like, bro, you're walking a, a, a fine line. Not only that, I, look, here's the thing. I don't think Bryce Harper asked for more money. I think his agent was like, you need to get paid more. You belong, you deserve more money. And he was like, I don't really feel comfortable. If you want to ask, go for it. And he was like, Oh, I'll ask. Like, that's my job to get you more money. 
and I'm going to go ask. So he did. So I think Harper has been put in. Now, Harper may have said, go get me more money. And if that's the case, we'll never know. Yeah, exactly. I, I brought that up the other day, too, about the agent thing. Sure, that's the agent's job. You want to capitalize. You want to get more money for yourself and your client. Either way, I don't care. It's like the chicken or the egg. I mean, it's it's coming off as Harper's demanding for more money. So there's just, I don't know. It's an interesting time right now for the Phillies. But it's for me, it's way too soon to dive headfirst into them. All right, so training. what was, let, let's get, so yesterday for me, I went main TV, Sixers at 1 o'clock. I did pregame Sixers, Sixers game at 1. Phillies were on the laptop. And then at halftime, I made the flip. Phillies on the big TV, Sixers to the laptop, and then I never switched back. I just kept it that way. You never looked back. Um, halftime was a good a good time to flip it. I didn't watch the Phillies at all. I was all in on the you Sixers. You had no interest in putting the game on. Dude, zero. I have zero interest in watching Philly spring training right now when we're watching a nationally televised Sixers game. I don't. Dude, we got seven straight months of Phillies baseball. Like, I don't need it yet in my life. I don't. I don't know. I guess I'm just a big baseball fan. I just love baseball. Like, there's something about Sunday afternoon, post-football. I'm on the couch. It was a nice day. The game is nice, and it's, like, like in the background. I don't have to be, like, firmly watching. I just kind of have it on. It's the soundtrack of, like, hey, it's a (laughs) slow day. I don't want to be, like, and I was, like, something feels right about this. By the way, if, if there's no Sixers on, I'm in. By the I'm by in. the way, ten thousand people were at that game yet. Ten thousand, like they showed the ballpark. I could not believe. Like I get it, the Phillies draw well in Clearwater. They they draw well. Mm-hmm. I, you couldn't find a seat on the berm. Like when you watch a Phillies game and can see the berm seats of the outfield, that's a good barometer of how crowded that place. There was not a sliver of grass to be had out there i said this place is mobbed it's february well we we know this right this is how the philly the philly faithful typically operate like if you go back to what 2010 2011 right like after a couple of years of sustained success that's when they had their best attendance numbers correct me if i'm mistaken yeah well listen i i go all the time the place of all the spring training joints that place draws probably better than almost anybody but mm-hmm. on february 25th yesterday <laughs> i was pretty surprised to see it that pack i just think you know the sixers are so hard to 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 get any beat on to read like okay i'm watching this game yesterday and nick nurse said it he goes like without joel we're really small we're really guard oriented are they playing the right style of ball without joel to compete why he's gone. I, I don't know. I, I Like, I've heard, like I showed you yesterday, like, to me, I'm laughing because people are complaining about Nurse. They don't like who he's playing, his rotation. Somebody said, what kind of offense are they running? And I'm like, it's only a matter of time before he is the worst coach now. Yeah, you're you're an idiot out there, all right? Anyone that's, that's watching the Sixers without Embiid right now, after the new additions of Heald and Payne, et cetera, and you think nurse is the issue? You got problems, bro. Well, let me, bro. let me, let me, okay. So then I'll bring this up. If yeah. the team looked like they did yesterday and mm-hmm. for some extent, like they've looked like without Joel, they've been bad without Joel. 
they've never been this bad. Like when they didn't have Joel when Doc was here, they won. Like he kept them competitive. But if they look like they did yesterday and Doc Rivers was coaching that team, don't tell me that he wouldn't have been getting ripped. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Doc, but Doc, like we knew what Doc was. Doc's a condescending, you know what, in every post game, particularly after losses. Right, so Doc doesn't help his his cause. Ever. Totally agree with that, by the way. But I'm not looking at his personality, right, right? I'm not looking yes. at his personality. I'm just saying, if he coached that game yesterday for the Sixers and they looked like that, yeah. he'd be getting ripped. He'd be getting he'd be getting blasted. Hundred percent agree. Um, but I, I like for me, I look at this team and I say, okay, what's Tobias Harris and his new role now with Buddy Heald and the and the injury of Embiid? Right, like what's I think there's a lot of guys, we talked about this Friday before the weekend, Mike, there's a lot of guys that are trying to figure out what their role is after the trade deadline and with the Embiid absence. Okay. Like, there's just, there's a lot of moving parts here. All right, well, let me spin it to you this way then. Has Nurse done a good enough job then of mapping these guys' roles out? I don't know what, I don't know what else he could do, right? I, it's, it's a no-win situation for him. It's a no-win situation. You don't have Embiid. Tobias Harris is playing like dog poo on the bottom of an old sneaker. It's just like, what are you going to do, man? It's Teams know what Maxi is now, right? They're getting the ball out of his hands as soon as he comes over half court. you know. And, and it's just they're trying to figure out, are we a shooting team? Are we Do we attack? Paul Reed stinks, by the way. Okay, everyone loves B-ball Paul. The guy's a bull in a china shop. He picks up five fouls in ten minutes. Yep. It's I, like, listen, I have been high on that list of hey, Reed is fine for five to eight minutes. If he's got to play twenty five to thirty minutes, now you got a problem. Uh so they're really small. When Reed goes out, they really just have no other size. And that's something that Nurse talked about yesterday. But listen, when Embiid went out, you know, a couple of years ago with the Simmons and Iliad, now they don't have that type of team. They changed the entire style of play to to go around Ben Simmons. I don't know if they're just not have they not adjusted to what's here now. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. I, I think at some point you got to look at possibly inserting Kyle Lowry into the starting lineup. Like, oh, he was bad yesterday too, though. By the way, I mean that was another problem. I know. I know. There's been a lot of bad play, Mike. So the Sixers right now they are as close to drowning as you can get if they aren't already. Yeah. Um. And listen. Like, tomorrow's not going to be any easier. you got to play Boston. And then after that, I said, you're a game and a half up on the two play-in teams, um, Miami and Orlando. I don't know that you can hold both of those off. And then Indiana's only a half game behind you. So you have three games within a game and a half of you. Dude, I, I just don't know if they have enough to hold all three of them off. I know. I don't think they do. <laughs> I, I I don't think they do. I'm curious to see where Embiid's at, but I don't know if it's worth even bringing him back in a couple weeks, Mike. I I see, and this is another conversation. And maybe after you know they play Tuesday against the Celtics, and then when you're back on Friday, they play the Hornets that night. So they'd only play one more game this week. But see, I'm in the camp of, and I've heard Stephen A. Smith say this, and and I can't believe I actually agree with something that he's saying. But you only have Embiid so many chances. If he's healthy 100%, you've got to take a swing with him. I, I agree with that. But my point is when I say I don't know if it's worth it, if he's like 
if he's like 80% or lower and he's like, I can go, I can go. It's like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. He has to be like 90 is what I'm saying. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? If he's just out there saying, yeah, I can try, then no. But if he's legitimately healthy and can play, I don't care what seed you are. You got to say, look, we could beat anybody with him on the floor, whether we're the eight, the seven, the six, the, you know, the play in, whatever. You're going to be an underdog against Boston, but you probably, I mean, you could make a strong argument that they can beat Milwaukee, Cleveland, and any other team with Joel, but without him, you got no shot. No, you got no shot. And, you know, I tell you what, man, Milwaukee's, <laughs> Milwaukee's really good. Boston's got your number on top of being really good. And this is with Embiid I'm talking about. So, well, think about we'll it, see. right? Boss, uh, Milwaukee's 37 and 21 and people are like, ah, this team stinks. They're not all that good. Doc Rivers is a disaster. He gets there. The team's a mess. They're losing games with him. And you're just said they're really good. Like they're thirty seven and twenty one, and we're looking at them like ah, they're not all that good. Like no Middleton and, and a Rochambeau yesterday. They're a problem, dude. They're a problem. And Giannis has been consistent with his messaging on this is Dame's team. This is Dame's team, and it sort of is. And Dame is just such a tough guard, impossible guard. So is Giannis. When Middleton comes back, like if they're all healthy, man, who who's beating them? I, I don't know. All right. Well, that's uh, that. I don't know. Um, my right now, and I look. The Sixers for me are a tough getting into. That's all. I mean, I'm trying to find things where I'm like, all right, what can I learn about this team? So nurses tell me the other night. Well, we've got Lowry, we got Melt, we got Ubre, we got Buddy. Because John Clark asked them on the Takeoff podcast, who would be your starting five? Right, and he said, "Oh, he goes Embiid, Maxi, Harris, and then the next two he was kind of like, ah, I could go with you know like the four guards, and then he said Batum, probably Batum. So he's basically those four, but the first three he was like definitive Harris, which I know some people want to sit him. I said, look, there's just there's no NBA coach sitting Tobias Harris, whether you like that answer or not. There's not one coach in this league that's sitting him." So he's in there, Maxie's in there, and Embiid's in there. Sounded like Batum was pretty solid, and then the next group of guys. Okay, how is he going to find out about that next group of guys without Joel? Like, that's the problem. No, it is. It's it's impossible. It's impossible. You can get a good idea right now without without Joel, which he hasn't gotten a good idea, by the way. But it's it's possible. But even then... It's not the same as playing with Joel Embiid, obvious statement. So yeah, it's just, it's just, you got to hope those guys are ready to step up, knock down a shot, and Embiid's ready to lead this team if and when he ever returns. Um, couple quick hitters here. Um, did you see this e- uh, text message? Not, nah, I hate the fact that they changed the name of Twitter. Okay. Did you see this tweet? <laughs> so there was a tweet that basically said ESPN has pulled Bronny James from their mock draft. LeBron actually subtweeted it and answered. I mean, LeBron, Come really? On. Come on, dude. That Come is on, about bro. as weak sauce as you can get. What did he answer? I saw that tweet. I didn't see LeBron subtweet. Um, so he basically said the, he's a kid, you know, like, what are we doing here? Like, and it's like, dude. What? This whole thing has gotten blown out of proportion because you said you want to play with your kid in the NBA. 
you're acting like your kid deserves to play in the NBA, and he doesn't. LeBron is... He just does not get it in the sense of the media and what he says and how he wants to be portrayed versus how he's portrayed. It's like, bro, you started this. You have the big wooden spoon, LeBron. You stirred this whole entire pot. He wrote, he, he, yeah, yeah, he wrote, can y'all please let the kid be a kid and enjoy college basketball? The work and results will ultimately do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If y'all don't know, he doesn't care what a mock draft says. He just works earned, not given. All right, so, yeah, great, fine, except for the fact that you have been on record saying you want to play with Bronny, who's not an NBA-level player right now. And what he doesn't get is that response is fuel to the fire. That makes the coverage go up. LeBron responding to that report only makes them want to cover him and his son that much more. So it's just, you don't get the show. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're right. I, I, I thought that was like, it, he, he literally just did that 20 minutes ago. So right when we started the, this conversation, he put that out there. So that's why I thought it was, uh, something. Oh, it's something. Unbelievable. Uh, all right. Uh, Ryan Rothstein at Wise Rye. And, uh, we'll be doing more of these throughout the week here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Sixers Celtics on Tuesday. Sixers Hornets on Friday. You got some flyers this week against Tampa and the Cats. You know, the schedule makers said, you know what we'll do? We'll put the Sixers and the Flyers on the same night, both nights this week. You couldn't give us like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday something and then a Tuesday, Thursday. Sixers and Flyers both play Tuesday and both play again on Friday, and neither one of them play Wednesday uh, or Thursday. Yeah, when it rains, it pours. Man. It's like so, can't yeah. spread it out. Yeah. Philly spring training. That's what I'll do. All right. All right, Rye. See you, man. Later, brother. All right. Uh, Wise Rye on Twitter. And, of course, the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app we got a lot to do all right uh so got the big three on the way but right now all right we're giving away i got five pair of tickets you guys remember the movie napoleon dynamite it was released 20 years ago well our friends over at ocean casino resort at ovation hall saturday march the 9th they are doing a screening of the movie it's a unique screening of the movie followed by a lively freewheeling discussion with the cast members john Hader, who played napoleon dynamite john grice who played uncle rico and efren ramirez who played pedro you can bring the family it is a awesome awesome this is going to be such a cool event they're going to have a Q&A, some comedy, improv, and everything. So come join the fun and help celebrate this wonderful movie classic, Napoleon Dynamite. I can't believe 20 years ago, I was Napoleon Dynamite for Halloween one year. That's how long ago, I guess, that costume was. 20 years ago? So what you need to do right now, if you want to go to the show, be the first five people who text in 609 403 0973 and just text in dynamite live dynamite live first five to do it we'll select you you'll be contacted you'll get a pair of tickets we got five pair it is saturday march the 9th eight o'clock ocean casino resort atlantic city's ovation hall text in 609-403-0973 text dynamite live first five people to do it 
you are going to this awesome show at Ocean Casino Resort. Good luck. You're listening to... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill. And if you're not down with that, we got two work for you. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 534 Sports Bash. Got another chance for you to qualify for the road trip to Baltimore to go see the Phillies take on the Orioles at Camden Yards. Philly sports trips, they will provide. By the way, the uh, I've been to a Philly sports trip catering party. They have like a Philly-style tailgate party from Cavs Catering. So this will be before the game. It's an all-inclusive event, and it's like the menu is unbelievable. you got Caesar salad, clams, mussels, shrimp in a white wine sauce, penny pasta in a cream blush sauce, filet mignon sandwiches, boneless chicken sandwiches, grilled sausage, peppers and onions, dogs, burgers. And they got round-trip uh, transportation, unlimited cold beverages, DJ, lower-level tickets to the game. You get a little T-shirt for it. I went to the game in Pittsburgh with the Philly Sports Trip guys, and this party sounds like it's going to be even better. Because when I went to the game, the tailgate party was at like a bar. This sounds like they're going to be parking lot in it and doing it like that style. I like the old parking lot style there. I'm just hungry after everything you just said. I mean, my goodness. That's a, that's a party right there. So we'll enter somebody else coming up in 20 minutes from now. Sports Bash Ooh. Live, 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Before we get to today's big three, I want to tell you about my friends at Progressive Fence and Railing. They're your secret weapon, whether it's adorable fence or railing, a stylish deck, a beautiful awning, a serene gazebo. They've got the magic touch, experience top-notch quality, impeccable craftsmanship, and finance options that can fit your budget. Get your free estimate today. Visit ProgressiveFenceAndRail.com. All right, what's today's big three? What do we got? Well, it was a very interesting weekend in sports, Mike, outside of the Philadelphia sports scene. And I want to start with court storming. That has been a topic I feel like I can't get away from it all weekend after what happened when Duke lost Wake Forest. Now, we can get into the merits of whether Wake Forest should have stormed the court saying they were a betting favorite in the game. But Wake Forest beats Duke. Kyle Filipowski, their best player, gets injured during the court storming. But I want to ask you, Mike, if you agree with Chris Canny from the morning show on Sportsmanlike, he has no compassion for Kyle Filipowski getting injured in this melee. Take a listen. What happened to Kyle Filipowski over the weekend, that's not on the way for his fans. That's on Kyle Filipowski. Like, if you saw the overhead shot, he's the one that stuck his leg out while the fan is storming the court, and he's the one that decided that he was going to flop. In no way, shape, or form is Kyle Filipowski a victim in any of this, all right? Let's cut that out. <laughs> um, I agree to some extent. I, don't, I disagree that I think Filipowski like, tried to injure somebody. Like, he's insinuating that Filipowski tried to trip somebody. Look, I've been a part of a court storm before, all right? I actually watched the video of it today. You want to Google it? 
WVU UConn 1998. All right, find that on YouTube. WVU UConn 1998. Mike Tirico, Dick Vitale, they're the commentators, and you'll see me storm the court. Now, you can't pick me out of the crowd, but I'm in that flurry of people. Court storming has been going on in college sports since the dawn of time. For Shire, who's the coach down at Duke now, uh, at what point are we going to get rid of this uh, thing? Buddy, one guy in the history of college basketball that I can think of got injured, and it's your dopey kid. So we're just going to outlaw the students having a good time, God forbid, because some idiot Duke player collided. Get off the court. Get off the court. Or at least have enough ability to be like, hey, out of my way, buddy. He tripped because he's a clumsy clown, and he fell. He deserved to get hurt. No, I'm just kidding. You don't deserve to get hurt, but <laughs> I don't think we need to go to the extreme of canceling court storming because somebody ran into Kyle Filipowski. Now, if it was some schmuck bag that's like the 19th guy on the Duke bench, does anybody care? No. Of course not. Also, do people care if it's not Duke? That's another good question. I mean, anybody. It could have been, like, the starter on Duke, but he's, like, the fourth highest scorer on the team. Or, like, he averages four points a game and two rebounds. No, it's the fact that it's Filipowski who's the best player on the team. It, I I keep going back to the fact that I feel like court storming happens every single year, and we don't get this much. Of course, it happens every year. It's been going on it. since the dawn of time. I said uh, in nineteen ninety eight about it this much. Of course, they don't because no one's ever been injured before. In nineteen ninety eight, I was at a game. I'll repeat: West Virginia, UConn. I don't know if you were listening to me when I said this. In nineteen ninety eight, I stormed the court because West Virginia beat UConn. And UConn was ranked like six in the country. The game was at Morgantown, and nobody was injured in this activity. And nobody has been injured in many other court storming. So 99.9% of the time, there are no injuries in this activity. Right, but I'm saying if someone who wasn't a Duke player got injured, would they be talking about it for the last three days? Of course not. then that's the that's the real silliness of it. Yeah, of course. It's it's because of who it is and the team. If it was the other way around, uh, if Duke won the game and Wake Forest is ranked and the game was at Duke and the Duke people stormed the court because they beat a ranked Wake Forest team, which probably wouldn't happen in terms of the Duke players. Like, Duke never gets to storm the court, right? They're always getting the court stormed on them. Right. So if it was a reverse and nobody got injured, nobody would care. You don't want to have uh, John... What's his name? Shire. 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 John Shire with his crooked mouth. Hey, where are we going to ban uh, court storming? Listen, Duke, you've fallen in terms of your notoriety in the country, and your guy got hurt. Just another kicking of the dirt on the Duke program, and I'm all for it. All right, Mike. I don't want to see guys get hurt, but... No, but you're all for losing. I think this is a... losing. This is a clear... One time thing. I don't think Filipowski said, oh, I think it was clear he did it on purpose. I don't think anything in that video showed that that guy came after you on purpose. No. Now, look, if you if you want to blame the the girl who ran into Caitlin Clark and almost bulldozed her 
blame that girl. That was a one girl, though. I don't think there wasn't like crowds of people that came bu- ambushing the court. It was still weird. Like the it was girl weird, but I'm saying like over. I, I, I get that, but you're not understanding what I'm saying here. This we had this conversation earlier, and you didn't get it. It was one girl. It wasn't a whole crowd of people, and then one girl ran. The one girl left the stands by herself. Nobody else followed her, and she ran into Caitlin Clark. It wasn't like 40 people came out of the stands and Clark had to try to avoid this group of people and then ran into that girl. She ran into one girl. So there wasn't a court storming situation in that instance. What else you got? Mike, I want to ask you about Eric Bieniemy. So this has been an interesting topic this weekend because for those who didn't see the story over the weekend, uh, Eric Bieniemy is now the offensive coordinator at UCLA. Not the head coach, the offensive coordinator. And on first take, Shannon Sharp and Stephen A. Smith, they got some questions about this the enemy situation. If he's the head coach, Stephen A., uh, no problem. No problem whatsoever because we see offensive coordinators right. in the NFL get head coaching jobs in college, and there's no problem. But you going to leave the NFL and go back to college? Right. You should have just stayed where you were, bro. Well, he should have stayed in Kansas City is what they're insinuating. Mm-hmm. He went to Washington thinking, here's the problem with the Washington move he makes. He went to a place where there was no guarantee that that team was going to win. And if that coach gets fired, now you are now at the mercy of the next coach wanting to keep you. He was in a no-win situation. For whatever reason, he's not getting an NFL head coaching job. He then goes to Washington. He does a okay job there, but the team stinks, and then the head coach gets fired. Then he's in a spot where, okay, we don't really want to retain you. We don't want to have you be the play caller. If you want to hang around and stay, fine. He had, from what I saw, reports were no offers to be an offensive coordinator. Correct. So he said, I want to be a play caller. What do I do? I got to go back to college. And that's what he did. Yeah, so for those who didn't see it, the enemy told ESPN.com, quote, contrary to what some think it would have been put out there by the media, I was not fired. I actually chose not to stay. I learned a lot in Washington, and that is always a good thing. I mean, he's at the point now where what else? I mean, he, he's, I had to get fired. I mean, who cares? I mean, you're, at, you're, you're coaching at UCLA now. You're out of sight, out of mind. We'll never hear from him again, probably. So, really quick, before we move on, because Stephen A. Smith brought up an interesting point I want to ask you, Mike. He said that, you know, Biennemi got interviewed for 15 jobs over the last couple of years and didn't get any of them. And that's an indictment on Biennemi. So, what do we say about a guy who gets that many interviews and Kansas City's winning without him anyway? Uh, I think it's a pretty big indictment that, well, I will say the Kansas City offense was not great this year. No they way. had their problems. Um, and look, I thought the Washington was problem wasn't their offense as much. Hal had big time passing numbers and, and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, he does not maybe interview well, or there's something that these teams are just saying we're not going to hire you. Mike, story number three. So uh, you saw Cam Newton over at Super Bowl Radio Row, right? Huge, huge. Billy Schwein could not believe how big Cam Newton was. And then I ran into Cam Newton and said, holy mackerel. Well, now imagine that and then someone trying to fight him. That's what happened over the weekend. So I did a little digging into this story. So there was a seven-on-seven football game in Atlanta, Georgia on Sunday. The event was organized by Weeball Sports. It's an apparel and sports media company that works with youth under 15. Cam Newton is... 
was an ambassador for one of the supporters and sponsors of the event. Well, apparently, Cam Newton used to coach with some of these youth coaches down there. The We Ball Sports Group. Well, two of the coaches from the opposing youth organization, Top Shelf Performance, confronted Newton and then tried to get into a fight with him. I say try because if you watch the video, <laughs> Cam Newton doesn't budge. He was Reacher. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Are you more impressed by Alan Richson in Reacher or Cam Newton in this situation in Atlanta on Sunday? Well, obviously, um, Newton, because it's real life. But he took on five dudes and just started throwing them all over the place. He didn't even throw a punch and he wrecked house. I mean, it was unbelievable. You got five guys coming after Newton, and he literally didn't blink. Newton's representatives have not given any response to any messages to ESPN.com or the, or the Athletic. But the Atlanta Police Department is not bringing any charges against Newton for obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean, if you watch the video, I mean, unless you saw something before that you didn't see, did he lead them on? I doubt it. Did he say something that stirred the pot? No. Did he throw a punch for it? Probably not. So obviously he's defending himself in this situation. Newton and all five members who were involved in the confrontation were immediately kicked out after the video had ended. So Mazel tov no to them, getting kicked out. No more incidents the rest of the day for the seven-on-seven seven football tournament in Atlanta. Jeez. Uh, all right. That's today's big three. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Uh, we got another chance for you to qualify for the Phillies road trip opening day watch party at Maynard's in Margate. Listen for that sounder to go off. It's coming up in, geez, just about eight minutes. Stick around. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, getting ready to get out of here on this uh, Monday night. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. Congratulations uh, to all our winners and qualifiers today. We'll do one more coming up before the end of the show for the road trip to Baltimore. I want to tell our friends about the trip to Baltimore. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips, you're going to be on the bus to Baltimore Phillies Orioles for a game this season in June. I think it's June 15th the Phillies play the Orioles. We're going to be having a opening day watch party. We've never done this before. Opening day, it's a 3 o'clock first pitch game. Phillies Braves. And we're going to go to Maynard's and Margate. We'll do the show live. So we'll be on live for the show. You guys can all watch the game. Well, I got to get stuck there working. Watch the game. Phillies, Braves. And then at the end of the show, we will uh, maybe do like the seventh inning stretch or something. We will pull the winner for the Phillies Orioles road trip. So we're entering people. You'll have another chance tonight during game night. To enter at 6.55. So listen for that opportunity 
each day at 55 after the hour right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Night off from the Philly sports teams. I'm back tomorrow here on the Sports Bash. But before I go, I need caller 7 at 609 403 Thanks to Philly Sports Trips and our opening day watch party at Maynard's in Margate. We'll have a watch party and we'll be giving away that trip on opening day, March 28th. You must be present to win 609-573-3776. Caller 7, good luck. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips and the great people at Maynard's in Margate. One more chance coming up tonight in one hour. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done.